This pandemic has radically changed work in the U.S. As the coronavirus spread across the country, a lot of commerce and services shut down. But then, as things gradually picked back up, employers across almost all sectors came to the same realization. They no longer had enough employees to do the jobs. For a variety of reasons, workers were quitting and moving on. Workers like Mary Waters in St. Louis, Missouri, who quit her job at a grocery store last June. I was there in a customer-facing job in the middle of COVID with no health insurance. And I was only making like 10, 25, 10, 50 an hour. And that just added up to barely enough to squeak by. Well, U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh has been talking to workers in 60 American cities over the last year. And today, he presented the Biden administration's plan to address the so-called Great Resignation. In a speech on the Good Jobs Initiative today, Secretary Walsh said resignation is not the whole story here. And I asked him what he meant by that. Quite honestly, people are looking to create better situations for them and their family and, and working in better paying jobs. The pandemic has really put a light on, on inequality in the jobs in our country. We have inequality as well with communities of color in, in access to good jobs, but inequality of people accessing good jobs all across the board. And, and I think when you think about the great resignation, some of the biggest numbers we've seen young people allegedly not going back to work, but the biggest job gain we saw in 2021 was people between the ages of, I believe, 25 and 50. 54. 54 right. going back in the workforce. We, we saw lots of people retiring early that might have left two or three years earlier than they normally would have, but because of the pandemic. So I, I think there's a lot more going on in this country than just people saying, oh, I'm quitting work. I, I think they're quitting work for reasons. And I think that there's also people are, are using their voice for, for better opportunities for themselves and their family. But collectively, that's having a big shift here in America. You mentioned, I mean, there has been job growth. There has been a record year of job growth. But to be clear, the labor force is still rebounding, right? Like we're still not at pre-pandemic levels. No, we're not. And, and, but we're still in a pandemic. So I, I think that we can't lose sight of that. And, and I think there are many different reasons why people uh, might not be in the workforce. I think, you know, childcare number one, uh, people worried about their health, number two, families of, of two workers working out of the same home, realizing that, you know, maybe we can make it on one salary you know, or maybe entrepreneurship is another issue. Uh, women still have left the workforce. There's lots of different things going on here. And it's not as simple, you know, it's not one, two, three. These are the answers for it. It's more complicated than that. You mentioned child care. And, and yeah, in your speech to the U.S. Conference of Mayors, you speak about how the challenges of child care fall overwhelmingly on women. Tell me, how does the Biden administration plan to tackle the issue of child care costs? Well, child care can't be just addressed by the Biden administration. Child care has to be addressed by from, from local government all the way to state government, to the federal government, to the private sector. And it's a system that, that needs to be invested in. And it's quite honestly has it. I mean, I've spent time in local, in state government. I was a representative. I spent time in city government. Now I'm in the federal government. And quite honestly, President Biden laid out in his Build Back Better agenda an opportunity to improve child care. Right, but, but that agenda is not passing Congress yet. I mean, he... He says he wants to pl he wants to pass chunks of it, but is child care going to be in one of those chunks? I believe child care will be in one of those chunks. I also believe that it can, it's not a federal government solution. It's an all of government and all of the sec private sector as well. We need to do better in the child care space. We lost lots of child care providers in the last two years because of the pandemic. 
And even previously to that, those child care providers were having a brutal time trying to keep people working in their industries because they they were paying so low because they couldn't afford to pay higher. So this is looking at revamping a a system I think we have to do for long term, for the long term stability of our country. Well, beyond the child care industry, I'm wondering what advice do you give employers who are having trouble right now filling positions. What do you say to them? Well, I think you have to look at the business model and see how you treat your employees. Is it, are people not coming to work because they're afraid of the coronavirus? Are people not coming to work because they don't feel they're not getting good, better benefits, they're not getting health health care, they're not getting good wages? I think you have, we have to look at the business model to make sure that you're improving. I mean, many corporations around this country have, have set a minimum wage of anywhere from 15 to 18 to $20 an hour to, to retain and attract people. Are you creating opportunities for pathways within your companies for people to get uh, progression and move into a company, get into higher roles, better pay? I think that, that that's a lot. What's, that, that's what a lot of people are looking at today in our country. Well, how about when it comes to workers who are leaving, not because of pay, but because of, say, they feel undervalued. We hear this anecdotally, and a recent MIT analysis found that that is a reason driving a lot of these job changes. What's the federal government's role in trying to fix that? This problem of people feeling undervalued at work. Is there a role? I, I don't know if it's a federal government's role to do that, but I think it's about treating people with respect. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people look on the federal government for answers for everything. The federal government can't change a culture in a company that's losing people because that, that, that culture isn't a good culture. But what we can do in the federal government is work with companies on job training programs. What we can do in the federal government is help companies and, and individuals know their rights and, and how we move forward. We can do all that stuff. And I think that that's what this administration, the president, has tasked me with here at the Department of Labor to do that and build stronger relationships. U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me today. White supremacy is the sickness. Hospitals and healthcare workers have been stretched to their limits by the Omicron surge. Staff falling sick, some patients waiting 20 hours to receive care, and ongoing testing shortages. In this pandemic, the healthcare system seems to be carrying a burden it's never seen before. So we are joined by Dr. Daniel Buckland, who's going to give us a picture of what life is like for many healthcare workers today. He's an emergency physician at Duke University Hospital, and we reached him in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome, Dr. Buckland, and thank you for making time. Thank you for talking to me. I think, by the way, that this is telling of what your work life is like these days, because you had to reschedule our interview once because you needed to cover for a colleague. How regularly has that been happening at your hospital? It's beyond just the colleagues being sick. Like uh, like, like you said, I, I needed to move this interview. And then in the time when we've talked and, and put this stuff together, my kid's school was canceled. And so I had to leave in the middle of the day and go get them and bring them home. So hopefully you will not hear them um, because of the teachers at their school needed time to go get PCR tests to, to be able to continue to to teach and stuff like that. So among the all the hospital stuff, among the staffing things and all the things we mentioned, just like the thing that's affecting everybody else is also affecting us as healthcare workers. And it's just, I can't expect that the day is going to ever operate like I need it to do in order to do the stuff that we expect to be able to do. Right. Ripple effects throughout our lives in so many ways. How would you describe in general the impact of COVID on your hospital right now? We are in this perfect storm right now. COVID cases are rising. And so even though the Omicron effects may be less than before, there's just so many people who are getting it now that a, a small percentage of a giant number is just still a massive amount of people. And then people who have been delaying care for this entire pandemic, the the effects of all those people needing that care that they can no longer delay are just also hitting the waves against the hospital. Um, and the 
staff now also testing positive and unable to work means that the resources I thought I had available in the hospital as an emergency room doctor, I'm only able to function in the emergency department if people can be admitted to the hospital and there's beds available to admit them to. Otherwise, they stay in the emergency department. And so I'm doing a lot of my care out in the waiting room. And I spend a lot of my time apologizing for everyone's experience and frustration. And it's just miserable for everybody. Right. We're really seeing that even if people aren't badly sick, if they're sick and they can't come to work, the consequences of that throughout the economy and the society and the hospital system is enormous. Right. And sometimes I will see them, like you said, 20 hours or 15 hours later. And so if you're like, well, I can't go back to work unless I'm sure I'm okay. I can't give you that answer now sometimes for uh, till the next day and which now you've been stayed up all night in the waiting room. You're probably not going to work the next day or who was taking care of your kids that night and stuff like that. It's just, it's just, everything's building on each other. And if you get the sense in my voice that I'm just frustrated and like defeated from that, that's true. It's just, it's so, I, I, it's hard to do this. It's just this general sense of like, why isn't this working better? And I don't have an answer for them. I almost feel like I hear futility in your voice. And I was going to ask you how you would describe your and your colleagues states of mind at this point in the pandemic. And it sounds like it's not great. It's not. I mean, it's not. So I talked to uh, you guys near the beginning of the pandemic about similar things. And then that, that at that point, the sense was, okay, we just, it's an education problem. We're all going to come together and we're all going to get through that. And so even though the like the clinical questions right now are, are better, we know how to treat COVID, we know what to do, we no longer have that sense of it will get better, right? We think it's going to continue to evolve and change, but that like light at the end of the tunnel, like we see that light, it's going to get better if we're all work together in it. I would say that is the big difference is I no longer have the confidence that that's going to happen. You mentioned people who have delayed care because of the pandemic and are now coming in. And as you said, we talked to you two years ago about elective surgeries being postponed. At that time, there were predictions that eventually we would see people with advanced stages of non-COVID diseases coming in for help, cancer as an example. Are you seeing that play out as predicted? Yes. And I've certainly been seeing that for the last year. Like in the emergency department, I will routinely diagnose a new cancer because I'm the first physician they have seen in a while. And so that, that stomach ache that just hasn't gone away, I will find out that because I was looking for something else, that it's from a tumor growing in their abdomen. What's your advice to anyone afraid to go to a hospital now who might really need hospital care? I will say if you feel that you are not safe to stay at home or that you can't wait to see an urgent care, primary care, the emergency room is still the place to go. Just expect that you're going to be waiting longer than you think to get seen. Like at my emergency department, we see everyone within 20 minutes of arriving to establish how ill they are at the moment. But we may not get back to you for many hours to finish up your care or to do a final diagnosis. Even if they're afraid that by going to the hospital, they increase their chance of catching COVID. Yes. I mean, if you, it's, everyone's got to make their own risk-benefit discussion. But if, you're, if you do not think that care can be happening anywhere else, then the emergency room remains that 24-7 place to get seen. And I'm, I'm, I haven't seen a dentist in over two years for the exact same reason. Right? Like, I don't want to expose someone or be in there. So I understand where everyone's coming from and what it's going through. But if you need care, please come see us and we will do what we can to get you that care. Dr. Daniel Buckland is an emergency physician at Duke University Hospital. Thank you again for making time. And we hope that there will be an end to this for you and for all the rest of us soon. Yeah, thank you. I really didn't intend to come across as, uh, as 
depressing, I think, as it came about, but I think that's kind of where we're all at right now. I spoke to Dr. Buckland on Friday afternoon. That evening, a man shot another man in the Duke University Hospital's emergency department. The already stretched trauma staff turned to trying to save the victim who did not survive. The numbers tell the story. According to a Labor Department report released last week, 4.5 million Americans quit or changed jobs in November. And that's higher than at any other time on record. And while a lot of attention has been given to so-called knowledge workers, people leaving in search of more fulfillment or something more in line with their true desires, it turns out the biggest churn happened among restaurant and bar workers, retail workers, hospitality workers, and other jobs which typically offer lower wages. Across the country, wages are getting higher. A wave of states and cities are raising their minimum wage this year, and 44 cities will be increasing it to above $15 an hour. So that got us thinking about whether these numbers could signal changes in the way Americans at all income levels are thinking about work, about the meaning of work in our lives, and about the conditions necessary for people to thrive at work. Writer Jonathan Malesic has one idea, burnout. He is the author of a book called The End of Burnout, Why Work Drains Us and How to Build Better Lives. He's had a number of jobs from parking lot attendant to sushi chef to university professor and has thought a lot about why people leave work. I spoke with him about how these recent economic indicators could also point to a larger shift in how Americans are thinking about the meaning of their work beyond the paycheck. Wages and benefits are obviously a huge part of the rewards that we get from our work. But those aren't the only rewards. A reward is not just monetary, but it's it's social, it's emotional, it can even be spiritual. And, you know, simply being appreciated by your coworkers, your bosses, but also your customers, patients, clients, your listeners, uh, is another reward that we can derive from work. So it, I think that job satisfaction in terms of rewards, needs to encompass all of those different elements. Your bio says you've worked as a parking lot attendant, a sushi chef, a college professor, which you you loved until you didn't. Can you just talk a little bit about what were some of the factors at play when you thought about your satisfaction with each of those roles? Yeah, well, I'll I'll start by talking about being a parking lot attendant. So I earned my PhD and did not have any luck on the academic job market. And I ended up taking a job at a parking lot directly across the street from the university where I had just earned a PhD. And on the face of it, that sounds like a big mismatch. Someone with all this education doing a job that doesn't require a whole lot of education. I mean, a high school student could do the job with no problem, generally. But I loved it. Uh, and the reasons I loved this job that, you know, is ordinarily has pretty low status is that, first of all, I had this great sense of camaraderie with the other parking lot attendants. The other attendants would swing by the lot and hang out for a bit, they would cover the booth if you needed to take a break or go get a cup of coffee or something like that. And some of those people are still, you know, some of my best friends. And so, like, that sense of community, that those good feelings that you get by working with people you really like is a big part of the reward 
of work. I would also say that being a parking lot attendant kind of stayed out of the way of my life. It didn't dominate my life. I would clock in for my shift, do the work, clock out at the end, and I wasn't exhausted. I could do all the other things that mattered to me because my job didn't dominate every aspect of my being. And what about, again, the other side of it, being a professor, which you loved until you didn't? So why do you think that happened? I see burnout as the result of being stretched across this gap between your ideals for work and the reality of your job. And so my ideals for being a college professor were sky high. I imagined it as the life of the mind. You know, the tweed-wearing professor asking questions about the meaning of life. And I literally did that. I truly asked students those kinds of questions. But, and, and at times, the reality lived up to those ideals. But Oftentimes it didn't. You know, it's still just a job. And the students were often not as excited about these questions as I was. But in addition, you know, there's still boring meetings, there's still paperwork. And it did seem like I wasn't really doing the work that I imagined I would be doing all those years ago. And so it was it was a real combination of factors, both internal and external, that I think caused my burnout there. We haven't talked about gender. What role do you think gender has played in all this? And this is something that we could be talking more about. There's evidence that women are more likely than men to experience burnout as exhaustion. And so burnout can manifest itself a little differently in women and men. And when you look at specifically parental burnout, women experience parental burnout more often than men do. They score higher on the the burnout scale. But men react to parental stress much worse. There's greater risk of men um, being neglectful towards their children or, or having sort of escape fantasies. So those things show that, you know, we need to think about burnout uh, between men and women a little differently. So before we let you go, obviously this is a big topic, which is why you wrote a whole book about it, but how can we start talking about this? Or is this just something that people have to tackle in their workplace? Well, I think that one of the reasons that burnout remains so prevalent and such a stubborn problem is that we think of it as just an individual problem. But burnout is the result of conditions in workplaces, workplace culture, and it's a result of society and the view that we have of how work plays a role in being a good citizen, being a good person, and so on. And so the way to beat what I call burnout culture is precisely to have these conversations, to talk with coworkers about the problems that you're having the at work, the ideals that you brought to work to begin with, and the way those ideals are not being fulfilled. And my hope is that we can start talking about how we might think about work differently on a cultural and societal scale. Jonathan Malesic is a teacher and a writer. He's the author of the book, The End of Burnout, Why Work Drains Us and How to Build Better Lives. And we reached him in Dallas. Jonathan Malesic, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. 
is the city of Chicago. Chicago. A major win for caregivers and domestic workers in Chicago. Effective this month, all nannies, care workers, and home cleaners who work here must have a written contract. Chicago is one of the first major cities in the country to make this a requirement. Now, advocates say their aim is to get the word out to the tens of thousands of caregivers and their employers across the city. So joining me now with what we need to know is WBEZ race, class, and communities reporter Esther Yoonji Kang. Hey, Esther. Hi, Sasha. First, Esther, I think some folks, myself included, were surprised to find out that written (laughs) contracts weren't already the norm. So before we get into the details of the ordinance, what got us here? Yeah, I mean, there'd been many uh, domestic workers and advocates working for different rights throughout the last, uh, you know, many, many years. Um, And there have been some gains made, but one major missing piece was this written contract. And you're right, a lot of people, you know, kind of think that this was already in place. I... um, I, I'm, I've heard a lot of folks being surprised that, you know, this wasn't already required. But a lot of times these agreements to work for like a private household, a family would happen verbally or um, informally. Mm-hmm. And so this this requirement is, is a big win for, for domestic workers. So what regulations or, or protections were there for domestic workers before this? Yeah, if I could go back a few years, um, a big milestone was in 2016, um, then Governor Bruce Rauner signed into law the Illinois Domestic Workers Bill of Rights. And that um, required or that brought uh, domestic workers the right to earn a minimum wage, um, the right to get a day off uh, every week, um, at least a day off, uh, being free from discrimination and harassment. Prior to the Domestic Workers Bill of Rights, domestic workers were not covered for those very basic, basic rights. Um, and recently in the last year, the city of Chicago, too, did its part. It brought the minimum wage up to $15 mm-hmm. for domestic workers who work in the city. And of course, now this um, written contract law is, is, is huge. And it, it went into effect at the beginning of this month. Wow, so it's been through several stages then. Uh, and to be clear, Esther, when we talk about domestic workers, who are we talking about exactly? Who's affected by this? Yeah, it's a group of workers that's that's been kind of hard to keep track of um, because these folks are hired by private households because many are immigrants and workers of color in the informal economy. And also many domestic workers are undocumented. Um, but there's been there's a study on domestic workers by the Economic Policy Institute that's been pretty helpful. And here in the Chicago metro area, there are more than 56,000 domestic workers, um, and that's probably undercounting. And more than 94 of domestic workers are women. More than a third are foreign-born, and majority are workers of color. Um, There's also just a good number of women who are over 50 years old. And so what exactly is required to be part of these written contracts? Well, the ordinance itself talks about how the written contract should include the agreed upon wage and work schedule. And the ordinance also says the um, written contract has to be done in the worker's primary language. Um, so it's very clear uh, to the to the worker what she or um, he 
mostly she is is agreeing to. Mm -hmm. And it can really be as simple as that, containing wage and work schedule information, Mm -hmm. or it can contain more specific information like, you know, vacation time, whether supplies are provided for, for, say, a house cleaner, or what the protocol is for um, a nanny if an emergency arises. And so it can contain all those specifics or just the basics, um, but there are now a number of resources available uh, to help people draft up these contracts. And I suppose the uh, the protections get specific, you know, for a nanny who lives in, right? Right, right. Yeah, these are all, there's a number of different um, scenarios for domestic workers. Yeah. And that's why the contracts are even more important. So put this in context then for us, Esther, how far does it go in protecting these workers and, and even the employers too? Yeah, one domestic worker who is with um, a workers' rights group called Arise Chicago, um, her name is Isabel Santos, and she she said it best. She said there's finally a way to defend herself uh, against injustices at work, in the workplace. And, um, you know, people have been asked to take on additional tasks, like a nanny being asked to clean um, in a way that was not agreed upon, a house cleaner being asked to watch a kid for a short period of time. Um, and I've also heard workers at being asked to do just one more thing, and then that makes them late for, for their next job, right? So mm. this is um, a way to set clear boundaries uh, to protect workers. But I've also heard that this is a good thing for employers, too. Um, it's a way to clarify expectations and remind them what was agreed upon. Um, and advocates also say this is kind of a great way to start conversations about things that might come up that otherwise would not just, you know, come up in a regular conversation. So yeah. having both parties make a plan for when an emergency arises or if something breaks while a house cleaner is working. Um, so like I said, it, you know, the contract can be simple or super detailed, but it's ultimately to help both parties. Literally making sure everybody's on the same page. <laughs> exactly. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're discussing a new Chicago ordinance that's now in effect. It's requiring domestic workers and their employers have a written contract. Domestic workers include all nannies, house cleaners, and at-home caregivers. I want to pull another voice into this conversation. Also on the line is Anya Jakubik, domestic worker organizer with Arise Chicago. That's a, a workers' rights groups a group that's long pushed for this new ordinance. Welcome to Reset, Anya. Thank you for having me here. Arise has been pushing for this. How big of a win do you see this as for for domestic workers from your perspective? Um, We are absolutely thrilled that this is happening and um, our members, Arise's members and all domestic workers in Chicago have that uh, uh, opportunity to um, formalize their workplace. And when I say formalize, I mean, literally, uh, domestic workers, uh, it's not only uh, not fully uh, understand as a job place, Mm -hmm. but also um, it's just our human nature to think uh, about workers in our house as a private matter. Um, It's sort of uh, changing the mindset when we put it on the paper um, to bring more formality, but... uh, definitely better communication between a worker and employer. So to be clear, this is a place of employment. So it sounds like a game changer. Yes. 
yes, exactly. That's what we feel uh, is also uh, um, often missing, at least from the employer perspective. Um, I was explaining that many times to uh, some employers that when they go to work, they go to the different setting and their mindsets uh, to the different mode. When they go home, they feel this as a refuge, as a place to rest. Mm -hmm. So automatically, uh, subconsciously, they feel that the worker feels the same. Um, Apparently, uh, it's not always that uh, you know, as much as you like your home, this is somebody else's workplace. Yeah. And uh, cleaning and taking care of your children or uh, of your elderly parents is their job. So uh, having that on paper definitely brings the status of that job uh, to the different level. And uh, certain security for both parties, mm-hmm. because having stuff on paper uh, written and checked Uh, twice uh, make you feel that you cover every aspect of that job. And Anya, you were listening along to my conversation with uh, Esther, where she was sharing some specific stories of of folks saying, you know, finally, uh, we get justice. What are some of the things you were hearing from from people that really led to your push to make some change? We were hearing, uh, you know, everyday uh, little complaints, uh, exactly what Esther was uh, mentioning, you know, just one more thing or, you know, having the verbal uh, communication uh, um, is not always enough. Uh, especially uh, when the uh, job situation is changing because, you know, um, I always said that uh, for most of domestic workers, this is the job that has expiration date and we need to plan it for it. Uh, So um, having, um, you know, uh, set up a role in a place of, of somebody else's home and taking care of the kids that are growing and gradually changing, which means that your chores and responsibilities are changing, and knowing all of it uh, mm-hmm. is very crucial for domestic workers, and especially less stressful for both employers and employees. So uh, now having that uh, as a requirement uh, brings a joy to many domestic workers seeing that uh, they can uh, finally finalize and, and, and formalize their, uh, their issues uh, or uh, just to feel better. And um, I always say that, that having the um, collection of uh, this kind of um, requirements uh, builds up the future for domestic workers yeah. because this is good for their uh, work history. Like I mentioned, this is job usually with expiration date. Uh, when uh, when you take uh, care of the children, you know that in a couple of years uh, they're going to grow there won't up be a and job uh, you, you won't be needed. Yeah. Uh, the same with elderly parents. As sad as it say, it, usually you come there to the end of their life uh, to help with the, those days. So uh, this job will end as well. And uh, those workers usually are on live-in or come and go, right. but full-time employed. Well, Anya, tell uh, us, give us, give yeah. us a sense of, of how it'll work. So for a nanny, who, a family who's, who's got a nanny or uh, a family who's got a house cleaner, what exactly do they have to do now? What, what are the first steps? Is there specific language that they need to put in this contract? Well, it, it can be really simple. The requirements, uh, like were mentioned before, they're very, uh, very uh, 
simple, but it can be really expensive. We have uh, worked with other organizations on the sample of contracts or what the contract actually could include, and uh, they're very expensive. And um, I would start with a conversation and uh, mutual understanding that this is a new law, and we need to put this in paper, and we can build on the simple uh, requirements to the point that we can be really detailed. And the sample of contracts can be really detailed. Mm -hmm. Well, according to the new ordinance, all domestic workers are covered under this, regardless of immigration status, right? So, Anya, do you think that it will empower those workers to insist on the contract, or do you expect that there's still going to be some reluctance and fear? I feel the fear and the reluctance is always there, especially for workers uh, with not regulated status. However, um, you know, uh, this also helps them uh, to figure it out their role uh, as a worker. Um, we, as a right Chicago, uh, prepare our members and do various trainings to how to approach employer and how to prepare the contracts. And, uh, if uh, workers are worried, uh, I would say that this can only help them to feel better at the workplace. Esther, I'm wondering about how the city plans to enforce this law. You know, these are, as you and, and Anya have mentioned, these are very private agreements made in people's homes usually. Yeah, the city's Office of Labor Standards is the group that's going to enforce this law. and. Um, Yes, it is private agreements, but there's a way for workers to flag the city. Um, you know, if 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 this is not happening, um, Milica Pagan, she's a lawyer with the Shriver Center on Poverty Law, a group that's uh, been working on this issue, and she said that ultimately it's the employer's responsibility to know the law, and so the you know that's why I think these groups are trying to get the word out mm-hmm. um, to to listeners of uh, BEZ and and you know. Uh, others and just to, to tell folks, hey, know the law, um, get this contract conversation started. Um, and if an employer doesn't provide the contract, a domestic worker can file a complaint with the Office of Labor Standards um, and employers could be fined $500 each time they, they fail to comply. And so ultimately, um, it is the employer's responsibility to know the law and to provide these yes. contracts. But uh, Good the, to know that the worker can can step in and, and flag to the city that absolutely it's they not happening the, the way it's supposed to. Right, right. They can call the Office of Labor Standards to 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 file that complaint. And Arise Chicago also has um, their hotline in three different languages that can help with situations like that. Yeah, tell us where can folks go to learn more about the requirements under this new ordinance, Anya. One. Oh, oh go ahead, Esther. Did you have a, a bit to? I, I'll let Anya take it. She knows. Okay. Um, Esther, and if you want to add it, um, please do. I will go to the um, city uh, um, website, which which is really easy. It's chi.org uh, or arisechicago.org uh, that also have all um, information about the new contracts and requirements in three languages. That is Anya Jakubek the Domestic Workers Coordinator with Arise Chicago, and also with us, WBEZ Race, Class, and Communities reporter Esther Yoon-Ji Kang. Thank you both. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Well, explain to me why you want a, a white dentist all of a sudden. 
because I want the best available dentist for my tooth. That's why. Now, just by coincidence, the best dentist schools are of the white people, by the white people, and for the white people. <laughs> now, don't it seem likely that the best dentist would be white? White dentist, please. Black students are entering medical schools across the country in record numbers. Kirk Carapesa from member station GBH in Boston reports that Tufts University has nearly tripled the number of first-year students who are black. Growing up in northern New Jersey, Sabrina Lima says her mom, a nurse, inspired her to pursue a career as a physician. I've been on medical missionary trips with her, so seeing her in medicine, she's just like, she's just an amazing woman. I just love how she serves others, and I want to serve people in a similar way. The daughter of Haitian immigrants says both of her parents encouraged her to apply to medical school. For Haitian kids, either you're a doctor, lawyer, or you're an engineer. So when I said I want to be a doctor, like, they're not going to be like, no, why would you want to do... Like, they're like, yeah, my kid wants what I want for them. But they never pushed it. Last year, she was accepted into Tufts Medical School, where last fall, the number of new students who identify as Black or African American jumped from nine the year before to 26. Across the country, medical schools say the number of first-year Black students in the U.S. is way up, 21 percent, an unprecedented spike in the past year. We have never seen such an increase within a short amount of time. Norma Paul Hunter says diversity in medicine matters to patients. She leads workforce diversity efforts at the Association of American Medical Colleges, and she points to research that shows across all races, patients are more likely to report satisfaction with their care when their doctors look like them. But only 5% of the country's doctors are Black. When Black physicians, male physicians, are working with Black male patients, we see better outcomes in preventative care, cardiac care. We've also seen that in terms of infant mortality as well. To address health disparities afflicting Black people, Hunter says more medical schools are adjusting their admissions procedures, looking beyond test scores and waiving application fees, allowing more students to interview remotely and considering race when deciding which students to admit. Medical schools are like the Titanic. It's very difficult to move policies and processes, to be honest. Joyce Sackey is dean for multicultural affairs and global health at Tufts. She says the ongoing racial reckoning has served as inspiration for admissions officers to redouble their diversity efforts. We are a medical school that has declared that we want to work towards becoming an anti-racist institution. This stand may have also signaled to applicants whom we accepted that maybe this is a place that they could make home. But finances are still a major issue for underrepresented students in medical school. Graduates finish with a huge amount of debt, on average, more than $240,000. We perpetuate that issue because we give scholarships for merit and not scholarships for need. Dr. Cedric Bright is dean of admissions at East Carolina University's medical school. He says staggering debt loads discourage many would-be doctors from even applying. We need to empower communities to want to raise money to say we will pay for a student that comes from this community. And hopefully when they finish, they'll come back to our community and practice. That's what Sabrina Lima plans to do after she graduates from Tufts. I definitely want to open up clinics. I want to work in low-income areas. She sees herself serving first-generation immigrant families near her New Jersey hometown. A lot of my early health experiences have been in Newark, so I definitely like have a heart for that community. For NPR News, I'm Kirk Carapeza in Boston. Context of 
white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, January 21st, 2022. So I have been told our weekly broadcast on neutralizing workplace racism, not for spectators, not for spectators. Hopefully offering constructive, logical information, suggestions, really, uh, on things that non-white people, victims of racism can do in the workplace, uh, things that we can say, not say, do or not do to help us solve problems without creating new problems. Uh, Emmy just spoke with her recently going in for second semester of med school thinking about her when I saw that segment anywho uh, if you have figured out some things uh, any of the folks out there if you're listening if you are non-white you figured out something that is valuable at least it has been for you thus far solving problems <clears throat> race soldiers try to mess around with your schedule what have you your hours try to say some racist jokes on the job or anything else if you figure things out well, you don't have those issues got a nice big office nice big work area if you need time off the folks said that they had to reschedule the interview because the children's school closed that sort of things happens to you Psh, no problem send a message to your supervisor take off the rest of the week children are important let us know when you got things together that's the type of rapport that you have in the workplace Psh. Get us on speed dial 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. The email untiljustice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com before we get to the folks who dialed in uh, let's see I'll give some of the notes that I took on the different reports then we'll get to the phone lines uh, the first report that was just from today uh, they were talking about workers being empowered uh, because of the great resignation and the staggering amount of labor shortages, like I said, which I've been seeing at least uh, here in the Seattle area throughout it is very evident. Uh, I've been talking about that for some weeks and uh, pretty much every place that you can think of is great. Uh, even the Seattle Police Department labor shortages compromise the services that we can provide. Even the Seattle Police Department. Massive. Uh, but they said uh, workers are uh, empowered uh, because of all of this, right? Uh, so they said, hey, you know, you can ask you want to be in a job where you get better compensation and are valued and all the rest of it. Whoopee. Uh, they were speaking with Marty Walsh, suspected race soldier, labor secretary. They were talking about racism, which actually came up that that's been an issue. You know, non-white workers want to be treated better in the workplace. 
You don't you don't have all this discrimination, all the rest of it that they said. Now, in the report, Mr. Walsh said there's not a lot the federal government can do to change culture. I do not agree. And I think there's lots of evidence of times when the federal government did change workplace culture. You can do that in lots of ways. You can pick out small things, just smoking at one time. You could smoke anywhere, any office, even restaurants. The federal government got involved to change that. Seatbelts would be another because we have a lot of folks, their vehicle or a vehicle of some sort is the work environment. The federal government got involved on that one to make that work environment safer. Going to wear a seatbelt. So that's two examples. And I mean, we could just run the line. Uh, don't they? Uh, what is it? The Lilly Ledbetter Act. Right. We want to equalize pay in the workplace. Oh, it's lots of things. I, I strongly disagree. There are many things the federal government can do to change behavior on a large scale. They have the EEOC. They have OSHA. They could just have both of those organizations and equip them. We're going to revamp things so that people do not see the EEOC is just a rubber stamp organization metaphor. People do not see the EEOC as just an organization where every now and then someone may be found to have violated or made some sort of error against a colored employee. No, we're going to revamp things. We're going to be clear. We're going to be more aggressive. Uh, and how we pursue employers if they are accused of some act of racism, white supremacy, even calling it racism. Uh, like I said, OSHA as well. It's lots of things that they could do. White people always do the design. I can't solve this problem. Let's see. With job satisfaction, that was something that they talked about specifically. I not that I'm opposed to that. If you can have job satisfaction, if you work in an environment where you are valued, people appreciate you, your other coworkers, regardless of, you know, whatever your assignment is, how much you make, you're valued. People are friendly. They don't harass you while you're in the workplace. They don't do tacky things to you, like put your face in the newsletter just to say that they're not racist. You know, that type of thing. That is spectacular. I am of the opinion as someone who lived through eight years of the Obama presidency. Job satisfaction, you can put that in quotes, whatever that's supposed to mean. If I missed it, that's probably going to be pretty unlikely if you are a non-white person system of racism, especially if you're classified as black. <laughs> Man, President Obama, historic number of death threats. I don't know how satisfied you can feel, how valued you can feel. I don't even know how safe I would feel <laughs> with historic number of death threats, sometimes coming from the security that's supposed to be protecting me. The N word is no secret in the service. Talk about that. Remember that one? So I don't know. I would say that's that might be one as long as we're under a system of white supremacy racism. I'm not sure how much job satisfaction you're going to acquire. Maybe I'll ask any of the anybody listening in. If we have any folks here, if you've had so-called job satisfaction, and I guess we'll use the rubric where 
you're valued, you're appreciated, your wealth, you're correctly compensated for the work that you do. Your time and energy is valued. People are courteous and friendly to you. If you've been in that sort of environment or if you're in that environment now, let us know. But jobs, I don't like it feels foreign to me. I don't know how satisfied one can be on the plantation if you are a Negro. Maybe I'm, you know, wrong. Uh, and I even wrote down other jobs. I was very serious about this. I don't know how how much job satisfaction I can have as a custodian. Even if I work at like Microsoft, Amazon, I don't know how much job satisfaction I can have. I don't know how much job satisfaction I'm going to have working at McDonald's. Remember that we just played the case where they said in Michigan, a hundred young ladies, probably a lot of them non-white sexually harassed and got to come and be raped by the manager to get more hours to work at McDonald's. How much job satisfaction do they have? Yesterday, we talked about domestic workers, the help. How much job satisfaction do I have if I'm Ella Mae Thurman taking care of a racist family and their tubby racist children? I'm just saying. Let's see. When they spoke with Jonathan Malesic, white man, he was talking about burnout and the major changes in the work environment. He was talking about the differences in how burnout is experienced by males and females. Every single time when that is uh, discussed, white people are practicing white supremacy racism. They know uh, non-white males, I'm sure, do not experience burnout the same way that white males do. In fact, it would be difficult for me to see anyone sympathizing with a black male talking about burnout. I'm trying to think of Bill Cosby, Al Sharpton, R. Kelly, President Obama, any black person was saying that they were struggling with burnout. I don't know how sympathetic we would be. Hmm. Lazy Negro. Anyway, uh, even when you say women, non-white females do not experience burnout in the same way that white women do. That's even curious that you would have substantial numbers of individuals classified as white with burnout in a system of white supremacy. All of these resources, really? Uh, and even within that segment, Mr. Malesic, he was speaking with Michelle Martin, black female at NPR. She talks about racism on a regular basis. Mr. Malesic could bring up gender. No mention of racism, white supremacy and burnout. Like, really? you don't think non-white people, you don't think individuals classified as black would be having some burnout going through all of this? Not a mumbling word. Racism by omission. Gus T had been speaking with Mr. Malesic. Even if we just had seven minutes to speak, that would have for sure been at least a minute, if not three minutes of the conversation. Next. Speaking of domestics, just yesterday we had suspected race soldier Chuck Stewart on the program, white man in Texas. Uh, talking allegedly about his uh, I can't say allegedly but talking uh, allegedly with some reverence 
about his recently deceased black nanny, Ella Mae Thurman, black female who passed away, I believe, at the age of 92, either 92 or 94, just last month. Incidentally, I looked at the online uh, obituary and wall for Miss Thurman. Mr. Stewart didn't even sign the wall. That's not a crime or anything like that. Some people aren't into leaving public signatures and that sort of thing. But I mean, she meant that much. You were turning into a little racist at four years old, you know, sign the wall. Maybe it's been a month. No. Anyway, uh, we had the segment on domestic workers. We just talked about LMA Thurman uh, yesterday and how many hours she worked. And uh, in fact, his father employed lots of Negroes down in the Texas area to work at uh, the factory and he was really nice to them Christmas holidays would bring them all kinds of fruits all the rest of it kindly benevolent white man who told nigger jokes on the side in Chicago domestic workers getting written contracts in Chicago that reminded me we read uh, the warmth of other sons Isabel Wilkerson cowbell ooh, um she wrote about Ida Mae Gladney. She was one of the main characters in the book, black female, victim of white supremacy. They move from the South. They go to Chicago. And she has that poignant story uh, about Miss Gladney. She uh, helps her friend out for one day. Her friend is a domestic worker in Chicago working for this white family. So she goes and she's going to clean up, you know, the one day. And the white man says, oh, here, you know, come get in bed with me. And she's like, what? what is going on you know no way just let me know you know the cleaning that you want me to do and blah 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 and the white man kept trying to get her to come get in bed with him and she said she was so mad that she just absolutely refused and would never do that sort of thing again and she had lots of stories talking about even reminded me rosa parks who moved to uh not chicago uh michigan uh but she had said the same thing that she never wanted to work in the house because she was afraid uh being sexually molested by some white man guess you could put that in the contract maybe Anyway, but just writing down hours, expectations, I thought, man, we harp on documentation on this program on such a regular basis. Just that alone can be helpful. Uh, just very straightforward about the hours, what's required of me, even going over in advance, what's going to happen in case of an emergency, which is bound to happen at some point, especially with as wacky as things are right now. Getting that written down where we agree if language is a, an issue and all the rest of it. I was just like, wow, that is love it. Even kind of embarrassing, like all of the years and centuries that white people have been exploiting non-white people. Still, lots of black females doing this have been exploiting non-white people as so-called domestic laborers. They haven't, you know, refined that to make that slightly better for the workers in 2022 like it's just just 2022 for us to get contracts that probably won't be enforced but I mean wow that's embarrassing doesn't get any better than tacky uh, let's see the enforcement I thought that was uh, important as well as well as they said you should be free from discrimination again I don't know how that would be I don't know where the uh, enforcement uh, of that would be and that's another see they don't say racism sometimes they don't mention it all you can say gender and gender and gender and gender and all the rest of it but 
can't say anything about racism, white supremacy, going to leave discrimination. Uh, and incidentally, nobody but females has a gender. Dr. Curry talked about that too when they were even asked about gender. It couldn't, it couldn't even be conceptualized that when they say, well, what, how does gender factor into this? Oh, well, black males are really catching it because they're all unemployed and then the school to prison pipeline and all the rest of it and males have been dying most from COVID. That's what they've been saying. Like, so they get the quadruple went, nah, 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 nah. Talking about white women. Let's see. Also thought it was important when they said agreed upon hours because sometimes they'll do some, uh, they'll do some time gobbling, right? They'll ask you to do things that you didn't agree to do at the beginning, things that are not your duties or when they know it's about your time to leave, ooh, 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 can you stay and just do one more thing? And then you end up being late to your next job or late to get your children or whatever it can be. That sort of thing. One, getting that in writing in advance doesn't get any better. That sort of thing also, I think, is black self-respect. Letting them know these are the hours. I have another appointment. It doesn't matter what it is. If you have another job, like if you have to get your children, if it's I'm going home to watch Netflix that counts my hours are this to this that right there tacky and it's time that they have t uh, terms for this uh, people who come they know what your hours are to where they could have asked you at the beginning of the shift if it was something that they wanted to include this is really any sort of job where they do the same sort of uh, same types of behaviors to just waste your time, steal your time, make you late, just not valuing the schedule that they know you have. Like when we had uh, our young scholar from the Bay Area, when he said his job, they already have his schedule. They know when he's in class, they will wait and call. Oh, hey, you think you think you can come in, fill in, work a day for it, work an extra shift today? Oh, you got class at no. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know. OK, got the schedule right in front of them, but they didn't know. Let's see. Last report we played was on the sudden increase in the number of black medical students. Spectacular. More STEM. More, more, more. Talking about that with uh, Emmy, who is in med school uh, and saying, man, Dr. Welsing, third generation physician. Just that alone, like being able to pass things to your children, information, just the library that a physician has as a child being able to grow up and see all of that and knowing all of those intimate details about your body like oh, oh. that is a form of nepotism like man you're a doctor and you can help and so that your child can be a physician and then your grandchild like that is Dr. Francis Cress Welsing third generation physician uh, oh, I thought it was also important they said uh, in their in the segment on med school, they said that they were considering race in the applicants to try to encourage more black med school students. Once again, discrimination, gender, race, can't say racism. You always consider race. You always were aware. Oh, we got a white person. OK, that's always been the case. Being aware racism white supremacy and we're supposed to be working against that counter racism if you want to call it totally new 
Oh, we, see that right there. We can't even be honest about what it is that we're talking about. That right there lets me know that maybe we're not really committed. We're not really serious, dedicated to the idea of replacing white supremacy with justice. Last thing I'll say that I pointed out with workplace racism on a regular basis. I was waiting in that report to see because they started out with Sabrina Lima, Tufts, med school student, right on. Same, probably close in the process with Emmy, our own. They spoke with uh, Norma Paul Hunter, Dr. Norma Paul Hunter, and then Dr. Joyce Sackey, all females, which I said it would have to be because just like with education, they don't have a whole lot of black male doctors and that is by design system of white supremacy same thing with med school Emmy said that as well her direct on the ground observations they don't have a lot of black male doctors Mm -mm. they did include Dr. Cedric Bright but I didn't expect there to be a whole lot if any black male physician speaking we are especially not going to have any nigger boys saying that they want to be a med school student anywho the number 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate also thought it was great from the second to last report Chicago domestic workers every job that a non-white person takes this job has an expiration date on it that's a great thing to keep in mind I'm not taking this job thinking that I'm going to be here for the next 50 years and they're going to carry me out of here in a gold-plated hearse and all nah. this job has an expiration date on it hopefully I will have some notice and control of that expiration date but yeah I'm not thinking I'm going to be chilling, parlaying here 2040. I'm still going to be raising a ruckus in these halls. No. Excellent way to that can kind of help with lots of things and not getting too comfortable with the setting. This is not my office, my chair, all of that. I'm just hanging out till it expires. White people will let me know. Untiljustice at gmail.com. The email untiljustice at gmail.com. Let us know how the COVID 19 situation uh, is, you know, evolving in your work environment in terms of the protocols. Are they minimizing protocols and testing now after the Supreme Court decision? Is it about the same? Is it ramping up with the infections and what have you that they're saying have been increasing over the last month? Let us know what's happening there and the labor shortages. They've had so much uh, conversation uh, about what's causing that and how that's impacting things. Uh, If that's an issue in your workplace, I think that's important, too, since they're saying that's a a global uh, problem with not enough workers. Uh, Let's see. We'll get to some of the folks who dialed in with a hand up and I will check the uh, email as well until justice at Gmail dot com until justice at gmail dot com alrighty switchboard let's see first few folks with a hand up line should be open 
Hi, Gus. Uh, good evening, callers and listeners. Um, I, I'm a little frustrated today. I just wanted to kind of um, share something that has happened to me. Um, I know there's another caller who also worked uh, or used to work in a school district. Um, basically, I have uh, worked for this school district. I went from a local government plantation to the state plantation, uh, also known as the school district. I've been there for about five or six months. Um, you know, it kind of ties into the COVID job uh, place wasn't really taking the COVID protocol seriously. Um, lo and behold, myself and my son, um, we are both um, COVID positive at this time. <clears throat> uh, I made a the report to my workplace um, on yesterday. Uh, the workplace has told me that I uh, need to return to work on Monday. Um, however, you know, my son, who is a student, you know, in the same district that I work in, they have him on quarantine until Thursday of next week. Um, and I, you know, kind of explained, which, you know, to me that's very unjust, um, that, you know, as an employee, you know, they expect me to come back to the office, uh, you know, bright and early Monday morning. But, you know, my son, you know, um, he cannot come to the school until uh, Thursday. I am, you know, very upset and I am very, you know, aggravated, you know, by that. But, you know, obviously, you know, in the system of white supremacy, they do not care. Um, you know, I've gotten a lot of fake um, emails, you know, you know, take care of your... So, um, that I can, you know, either have options to use my paid leave, the leave that I have, which is not too much as I'm, you know, haven't even been there a year. So I just told them, you know, I would take those uh, days, you know, to I'm going to, one, you know, show the most black self-respect and I'm going to stay home, you know, with my son and, you know, not return on Monday. And two, um, I will, you know, just take that time off as, you know, unpaid, uh, you know, as, you know, most victims in the system of white supremacy, you know, I try to, you know, save my funds and, you know, keep, you know, as much money in the bank as possible by living as frugally as I can. So um, I will not be going back to work on Thursday and, uh, you know, leave that I have accrued uh, thus far that I'm not going to be using just to waste. Um, I'll be taking that time, you know, in the next few months to look for, you know, another job. I, um, did not expect, you know, to receive, I guess, that kind of uh, treatment, you know, in the school district, you know, especially when the policy or procedure that they say um, that exists, it doesn't seem to um, align where the students and the staff is on a different, um, completely different timeline. And, you know, the worst part about all of this, in my opinion, is that, uh, you know, I'm not even a uh, teacher. I'm not in the, you know, classroom. I'm more of a um, administrative uh, staff member. But, um, you know, I feel, you know, that my boss could have, you know, offered to, you know, let me, you know, work at home or there could have been something else. But, you know, I was, uh, you know, told, you know, the school, they'll, you know, take care of you. You started experiencing, you know, symptoms on Sunday. 
that's whenever we do the countdown. Um, we need you to come back on Monday. So, you know, that's my story. And I uh, now I see the other caller, you know, who has uh, been talking about her experiences within the school district. You know, I um, kind of see her frustrations. And, you know, I have not even been there very long. But it's uh, a very, very unjust system. And I, you know, probably expect my um, the racism probably increase because, uh, you know, I decided to choose the option of having, you know, self-preservation, taking care of myself and um, my son and, you know, not just rushing off to work. Um, and that's all I have to say. That's uh, my story for this Friday. And I will uh, mute my line. Thank you for listening. Mm. Wow. Black self-respect, ma'am. Um I say it all the time. I do not have uh, children. Uh, and I say that for, you know, exactly what we just heard. I just feel like being an attempted parent uh, in this system uh, is so, I mean, challenging is minimizing, you know, like with everything that we have to deal with and then having to try to do that when you have an, an offspring or off, uh, multiple uh, children. Uh, that you're responsible for and trying to just do the best that you can. Like why? And then race soldiers. I mean, wow. They do not care. Negra is a negra. Negra with children, negra with no children. Negras is negras. So, wow. I'm I'm so disgusted that you had to experience that. Um, But the black self-respect, as we've been saying, uh, with your health and safety, especially, well, really workplace or any place else, you have to take your health and safety seriously and put that above everything else. So I, I just uh, highest commendation uh, for recognizing what is important, uh, your safety and your child's safety. And I would even pause like just looking at your treatment. Now, they're not saying, hey, let's do what's in the best interest, safety of our staff, students. Go ahead. Stay home. Make sure that, you know, you're straight. It'll be spreading germs, be a vector for contagion and all the rest of it. Right. No, no, no. Monday. Be here. 8 eight. Like, dang. Then her offspring, he has to sit out until Thursday. Like now, I don't. Why is one? You got to be here on Monday. The other one. Nah, nah, nah get out of here. till th- Like, whoa. I don't understand that one. Uh, two. I would even be thinking if so, if other instructors, staff, faculty member, if they test positive for COVID-19, are they also under the same type of protocol? Get back in here now. Was that one where they have some discretion? That's one I'd be thinking about because we've had we've had caller in Florida and other folks have said, wow, it seems like this can be kind of punitive at times where they're just practicing racism. Sometimes it's, you know, if a white person, if they don't want to use their PTO, if they want to come in and just get all their hours and not have to be quarantined and all the rest, they can do that. If they want to send these black people home and you're out of here, I don't care if you got PTO or not. That means you don't, you know, get your normal salary, your normal hours for the week. Oh, well, but we got to have safety here. It's just, are we going by the protocols? Are we going by safety or are you just using this as an opportunity to practice racism? <laughs> Negros won't work. Or. Negra will work and not have childcare. We don't care if you're, you know, that means you're going to be here teaching while your child is at home. You're both positive. We don't care. 
No regard at all. Uh, but I do. I think that is spectacular uh, to take the time off and all the way through being frugal, being prepared for this sort of tackiness, being prepared, even when she said, hey, I haven't worked there that long. So I don't have like a billion hours of PTO saved up. I'm not going to use them uh, just, you know, willy nilly like, oh, this would be a great time. Go to Atlantic City or, you know, this would be a great time. Get ready to go to New Orleans or something like that. Like, no, be serious, especially for attempted parents. Like, ooh, never know type thing can happen with your children. But saving my coins, saving my PTO just in case something wacky like this happens. And then, bam, this is also when I was thinking, like you were saying, black self-respect. I am going to find a new plantation because this is a disgrace. Empowered workers, especially they've been talking about schools being super, you know, understaffed and oh my God, what labor shortage. If you leave, they might, oh my gosh, what can we do to keep you? Uh, uh, extra PTO, work from home, like all kinds of, now just see, you know, because we've heard that from a number of folks once they, you know, I will fix your wagon, I'm out of here. And then it's whoa, whoa, whoa. What can we do to keep you? My gosh. I hope you're able to find a much, much, much better plantation. Uh, and then the tackiness as well. I'm sure there's been a whole lot of that to have folks texting and emailing. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, you know, you can you can use your PTO and, you know, you could do, you know, work something out. And oh, it's just terrible. Oh, just so sorry. All of the fake sympathy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Going about the business of solving problems. Finding a new plantation. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Does well, not... Russ, and, I, and I could have one, mm-hmm. one, you know, other thing. I, I'm, I'm really tempted, you know, because I don't plan on making it a permanent work, uh, permanent place. Like you said, we should never look at the place as we're going to do our 20 years and, you know, Get that company, you know, Rolex, because that's just not a feasible way to think. But I'm really still a kind of halfway tempted to, you know, and it probably is not going to benefit me. But, you know, I, I can't fathom how the school district itself, you know, the uh, boards, the trustees, you know, those people in the administrative wing of the school district would have a policy where, you know, their own staff, and then the students have a completely different quarantine structure. And I'm halfway tempted to, you know, send maybe a anonymous email or to send, you know, something, you know, just um, at, like you said, just kind of asking questions to, you know, get clarification. Because uh, if the school district that I work for that my son also attends is telling me as an employee that, hey, you need to be in on this day, but your child is not allowed to um, come into the building, be in the classroom because he needs to be on quarantine. It just doesn't make sense. And do you think that would be a foolish endeavor? I mean, understanding that, you know, not much is going to change, but I, you know, can't imagine that it's just the the tackiness um, of that. And, you know, I don't know. They are, well, I guess the chance is quite high that, you know, it is because I'm, you know, not a non-white uh, person. But, you know, I just kind of um, have a feeling like, you know, 
I need to, you know, maybe, you know, find out the information of the, um, you know, trustees and those people on those boards and just kind of, uh, you know, understand, you know, that policy because, you know, with the way it stands, it's going to put the student and, you know, staff, and I'm um, not in a teaching capacity or in the classroom, you know, it's going to put us on a completely different um quarantine schedule. Do you think it would be worth it or do you think would it probably advise against in asking questions in the uh, boards and trustees and administrative uh, uh, people um, at the school district or would you just advise just to, you know, document it and, you know, just start looking for a new plantation? Uh, I'm of the opinion uh, all of the above. Um, document, look for a new plantation, and inquire. Uh, I don't ever, in a workplace capacity, and especially anything dealing with safety in the workplace, I don't ever think that there's anything incorrect, uh, foolhardy about seeking information, uh, and especially this one. Like, it should be unambiguous. I think that is fantastic. Uh, the school board other administrators just have them explain like you know is this the policy if a student tests positive positive on friday january 21st and you have a staff member they test positive friday january 21st is the policy the staff member positive test or no you're supposed to be back on monday the student after that positive test they're not supposed to be back until Thursday. They're supposed to be quarantined until Thursday. That's five, at least, you know, school days. Is that the case? And then maybe even if so, why? Maybe they have spectacular logic, you know, to detail why that is and all the rest of it. And, you know, how even despite all that, they're ensuring safety uh, for everyone. But, yeah, just have them explain it. And, is this the case, you know, at all of the school levels for everybody? Everybody has the same rule. Staff member test positive. Oh, well, be back in here by Monday. Students, you have to be quarantined for five number of days, five days or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I, they should be able to explain. Somebody should be able to give you the logic of why that is and what they're doing to make sure that everybody stays safe. If that's the policy across the board. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. In addition to documenting looking for another plantation discreetly. Uh, let's see. Since Gus T is saying all this uh, without having offspring, uh, do we have any of our other folks who dialed in with parents? Certainly folks can share their own uh, observations and experiences as well. But any other folks uh, with parents, any non-white parents and or educators, that'd be good too. Uh, do you think it would be worthwhile uh, to inquire? ask some of the folks at the school board or other white people in charge who designed this policy, why is this the case? Or would you just document, keep your mouth closed and go about your business to relocate? Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Our caller 844. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, good evening to Gus, the host, and uh, good evening to the participants of the program. Uh, being a, uh, a parent myself, 
one of the things that I've found that has worked in the case where there's something that is uh, contradictory that's occurring inside the school or uh, non-productive is to bring it to the attention of the parents because they frequently can be a louder, uh, I guess you would say, sounding board, uh, or they can uh, they can make that uh, to be um, more heard uh, throughout the school district um, when they see something like that is occurring, because it seems like a teacher or excuse me a uh, a staff member who comes to school before the uh, recommended quarantine period, uh, or excuse me, sooner than the students would have to uh, quarantine, it seems like that's uh, a way to further contaminate uh, the, uh, the classroom, especially if it's a teacher, or it could be anyone. It could be a, a lunch person, whomever. But if they're having frequent contact with the students and other staff members, uh, if they're not quarantining for the recommended uh, 10 days versus, uh, you know, only quarantining for five days or less, it seems like that's uh, a way for uh, other people to be further contaminated with the COVID uh, uh, virus. So I would make it known to parents that their children are being put in jeopardy by, uh, it seems like an unwise, uh, a staffing decision. And it's probably because they are understaffed that they want to um, enact that policy. But nonetheless, it's, it's, uh, it seems like it's um, very contradictory when you're having students quarantined for longer than a staff person. And uh, that's all I wanted to say. Hmm. Logical. Very logical. I've seen where... Uh White parents? Oh, man. You talk about getting things done. Lightning speed. Uh, Although I guess with the COVID situation, it might depend on jurisdiction because some places, you know, COVID, schmovid, you know, we don't care. Moving forward. So it might depend on where you are. I know here uh, I do not think that would fly. Um, Yeah, would depend on where you are. I think, yeah, certain regions you could easily just letting parents know. I tested positive for COVID and they want me back in the classroom on Monday in front of your child. They will take it from there. Mm. Uh, hey, can, folks, I, can I be here? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, let's see. Caller victim in New Jersey. Yes, sir. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I don't, I, I too have no children. Um, I mean, that's, uh, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely a route, uh, the caller can take, but if I'm mistaken, she still she works there too, right? And her children attend her child attend school. Is I that believe, correct? Yes, I believe that's what she shared with us. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but you know, I mean, again, you know, um, you know, I mean, I think if you know, if she if she was to go that route, I mean, informing the parents, I mean, you know, that that could create also it could backfire and also create a hostile work environment, some kind of retaliation for um, you know, causing, you know, such a uh you know, causing the parents to uh you know, get riled up. So, you know, the other option would just basically I guess every school district has a board of education. So, you know, contact the superintendent 
or whoever is, um, you know, a superior that, you know, ranks higher than vice principal, principal. Um, you could take it from there. But, you know, again, like I said, this is a place where she plans on staying, but she says she's going to look for um, other employment somewhere else. And, you know, she can definitely go that route and, you know, notify uh, notify the parents and, you know, just kind of like her parting gift on the way out the door, you know, cause, you know, stir up a little controversy. Um um, so I just wanted to uh report. Um I'm I'm still um you know, I'm still out of work uh with my knee injury. Um yeah, so you know, everything's going going well. I'm, you know, getting all my workman's comp and uh um I'm also um I'm not missing any doctor visit. Uh my employer gave me a call and asked if I wanted to uh maybe come in and take another position sitting behind the desk. Uh, no way. I'm going to sit home and follow the doctor's instructions. He says six months, six months it will be. Um, a while ago I talked about an, a, a, uh, a, uh, oh, and then they wanted me to take a position, um, to add the position that they offered me was going to be the position of a coworker who died. I'm assuming he died of COVID. Uh, you know, so I've been hearing from other employee, employees, I mean, other coworkers who work there, a family member of mine works there. And um, he explained to me that, you know, there was, you know, there was a real big outbreak of COVID. A lot of people in the uh, company came down with COVID. So no, I don't want to sit at the desk of someone who possibly just died from COVID. I'll stay home. I'll pass. Um, speaking of the job, a while ago, I talked about, I got into a, not a, well, I got into a conversation with a coworker who was anti-black, uh, you know, black male, uh, Jamaican, and you just had some things, you know, disparagingly say about black Americans. And he was also, you know, name calling. And I said, I practice staying away from that particular coworker and it worked, you know, uh, if it, if it's not high and by, you know, I uh, basically kept to myself. But anyway, uh, my family member who works at the company informed me that this particular coworker got into a physical fight, that same coworker with a supervisor, supervisor punched him in the face. Uh, he invited the supervisor to his genitals. <laughs> and um, so I would say my practice when I was on the plantation of successfully staying away from that coworker, it worked. And I thought about Millie Fuller, who also gave a story of a very uh, rude or, you know, very nasty white coworker. And he just practiced ignoring them. And eventually that coworker eventually um, use a metaphor, barked up the wrong tree, and Millie Fuller didn't even have to do anything. He he basically, you know, not only riled up some Negroes, but he barked up the wrong white person. Uh, he barked up the tree of the wrong white person and lost his job. But the tackiness of this company was just alarming, and that's why I'm definitely getting out of there once I recover from this injury. Um, there was no disciplinary action towards these two uh, non-white individuals who were fighting in the warehouse. 
one was a supervisor, the other one was a driver. I think they made the supervisor stay home for two days and the other guy came to work the next day. Just the tackiness of that company. So just with me hearing that alone, I said, I am out of there. But I'll close with that. Wow. Uh, no name calling, I guess? Like, jeez. Uh, Mr. Fuller, I remember that. That was 2011. Summertime. I remember it because it was a beautiful day. He, I'm sure he's shared it many times, but he shared that when talking with Gus T specifically. Beautiful summer Seattle day, sitting outside. Ah, oh, it was so bright and sunny. Um, and he said, yeah, the guy on his job used to come in and, rah, 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 and all this. And he said, uh-huh. Didn't say a word, didn't challenge him, didn't get into a name-calling dispute, challenged him to an arm wrestling contest. Time rolled by, and exactly as he stated, Ended up doing all that. No, 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 no. You don't know. You don't get up here. Did all that with a white person, and that was that. I think he said he got like demoted and all the rest of it, and came back after he'd been all in Mr. Fuller's face. He said he came back and said, "Uh, Fuller, I'm." He said, "Well, how do you phrase?" He said, "I'm, I'm amongst the lowest of the low." He was so forlorn, and Mr. Fuller said, well, tomorrow's another day. <laughs> the moral of the story, when you see these folks in the workplace, you talked, uh, our call in New Jersey talked to us about that before, getting into some dispute, and this guy, you you know, no-count American Negroes. I told you, that's why I'm Haitian ladies in med school. See, that's the rest of you no-counts are doing it. You don't go back and going back and forth. And what are you doing over here? I'm telling you, Kung, you and Sydney 48 better get out of here. That. Nothing to say. In fact, he said, minimize contact. Oh. I just say hello. Say goodbye. Leave it at that. Not going around here gossiping. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I go in and every time I go, man, let me tell you, you got five minutes. I'm going to tell you that no count coon. That's a, that's a Caribbean coon right there. I'm going to tell you, he didn't say that. You don't go around trying to start trouble and all of that. I just psh, leave him alone. Then he'd think he'd also said more. He said, yeah, that's right. I don't talk about politics and start bringing up things. Just keep it on the job. Exactly. And just because I see another black person does not mean this is my brother, my homie, just another co-worker. Follow your code. With the, uh, the bra- now, the other side of this now, that brawl, who wants to be in that situation? What if you don't work in some, you know, wild, wild west lawless work environment where as opposed to they just snicker about that and send one person home for two days, that's a 911 call and a police report. That sort of thing happens in Washington State. If it's a brawl and a fight, especially if somebody drew blood or if there's evidence of a fight, they call the police. Somebody's going to jail. That's an assault charge. Or even if they don't call the police and just say, hey, can't have fighting niggers here. Both of you all are fired. Clean out your locker. Now, who wants that 
over whatever the fight started over, name calling or, you know, whatever. He wants to talk about how lazy American niggers are. Like, are you serious? Uh, let's see. Them trying to finagle. Now, see, that's an example. They talked about the domestic workers, how they would come up at they're about to leave. And say, oh, look here, Ellie Mae. Ella Mae, look here. Uh, do you think you can go out and just get the back porch? I know you said you're going to leave at 1 and it's 12.59, but it, 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 it just take three minutes. You can just go out and get just, you know, get the back porch and the steps maybe too if you don't, you know, you don't have time or if you have time. Same type of thing. They come with him. The doctor said six months. Got injured on the job. Six months. We'll do our, our, our PT, physical therapy. We'll get you right. Legs will be good as new. Boss calls up. Oh, I know it's I know it's been two months, but uh, you think you wanna you wanna come back and get a desk job and come in? Like, ah. The doctor said six months. I'm gonna take it, and I'm sure they know. The doctor said six months. Oh, maybe we can get this nigger back in the office. Maybe we. No, man. Nah. Don't want to see a nigra earning his money, taking care of his health, and doesn't even have to come into work. Got to come out here and battle, battle this snow and sleep and hail and sleep on the highway in New York and all the rest of it. And he's chilling inside doing physical therapy. Uh, let's see. And uh, great, I think, reminder if you go to the parents talking to our educator, uh, which she tested positive for a child, and then they got these. Uh, contradictory policies where if you do go to the parents could be blowback they might want to retaliate that is certainly possible I definitely think out of the options that we have so far that we've discussed asking questions of school board members the folks who put this policy in place I think that is the route that has the least or the lowest potential for retaliation not that that's always the met metric that we're looking for but that might be important, whether you're leaving the job or not, asking questions. The parent route could be retaliation, maybe, maybe not. Definitely less likely uh, if you just ask questions. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, uh, if you have suggestions for our parent or your own situation, proceed. Hello. Uh, let's see. Our caller oh. in Georgia. Yes, ma'am. Hi, good evening. Um, thanks for taking my call. I hope everyone's having the best evening they could have. Um, the the fem other female caller with the child. Um, I would. I don't have children either, but um, you know, as someone who has a parent. Um, I think I would appreciate my parent advocating for my health. So, um, whatever you ask, I don't know how old your child is. I don't know if they're thinking about, you know, advocating for their health, but, you know, maybe not now, but definitely later. They would appreciate that. So, you know, you ask questions. You, again, some, I think, um, the suggestion is sometimes, you know, to talk about other issues like the health, um, you know, I'm a female, different things. I don't know. Sometimes it's easier to go that route and get results. 
without seeming um, confrontational. But, you know, these are things you need to know and documenting and the answer to the question. And especially since um, COVID is relatively new, these policies are relatively new. You know, why did you think this was a good idea? Did you go with the CDC? You know, they say this, they change their mind a lot, this, that, and the other. Um, so, you know, you just go by that, you know. The CDC says this, that if they say five days or ten days, then, you know, I guess whatever, you know, they change. They may change as the, as the CDC changes. So, I don't know. But, you know, I would still ask about that. Um, I guess my own situation, I think I stated earlier, um, well, late last year, I started a contract job. I'm still on that job. Um, some things have happened. I told you about the, the lady that left. Um, she came back, and she got to do what she used to do with the same pay. So, you know, yay, white people. Um, but my boss said, who's not white, she's like, well, the ladies of a certain age and, you know, the mental thing is a real disability. So, and then the amount of work that she had, we kind of both agree that it, it was a lot. Um, but I don't think that lady will be capable whether it was a lot or not. But anyway, she got to keep her job and got to go back to doing what she was doing, had the same pay. She had a job for at least a year. Um, we moved from one location downstairs in the same building. Um, now, my boss has an office because, you know, she's the boss. That makes sense. Um, the other employees who are white females, they are in cubicles. And I don't know how I did not ask. And I don't know how this is going to pan out over, you know, the, the time that I'm there. But I got an office with a door with no window because some of the doors in the in the building have windows so you can see inside the office. So this door has no window, but I also have a window in the office so I can see the weather outside. I did not ask for it. I, you know, yes, it's great to see the weather, but, you know, there are enough websites that tell you what the weather is by having to look out the window nowadays. Um, so... You know, it's it is what it is with that. I'm not necessarily overjoyed, but I'm not you know complaining either because I can close my door. I can close the door that they have for me. Um, but somebody did come in, you know, looking around. Like, Ooh, it's nice, and um, you know, I could, you know, yay, office. Um, and there seems to be. So some of the people at this place, of course, there's always people who don't like other people. Um, but my manager, she was thinking about bringing on a black person who works at the company but works in a different department because she seems capable, blah, blah, blah. Um, the white people there, I guess they don't want her to do that. I don't know why. Um, I've worked with her. I haven't been in long, but I've been working with her recently. I have had no problems. She's been very helpful. In fact, I sent her a little note. You know, you've been very helpful and patient while I've been, you know, learning this new role. So thank you for being, you know, supportive, you know, and everything. She was like, no problem. 
you know, been very nice to me. I don't know her that well, just professionally, no problem. So, you know, my boss was telling me how this person doesn't like this person, and and she was like, well, you know, if they talk about them, they'll talk about me too. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking the same thing about her. You know, <laughs> like you can talk about me too. So, um, I just, you know, I stay careful. I do my work. Um, no one. I had a little hiccup because we got a new project, and it was. I was a little late on it, but we had got an extension. It was new, and, you know, I still, we had until yesterday. So it was late yesterday, but I did turn it in yesterday. Um, so no worries with that. Um, it seems to be going okay. And then I got, I still have the TurboTax job, so I really start that tomorrow. That's been new, with a lot of intense training, because I got a promotion, I think I told you earlier, I got a promotion on that job. And so far, my boss, the boss at the office job is, seems to be okay with me doing some of that work there because I need to be kind of online and it, it's just, right now it's a lot. So I'm, I'll see the logistics of that. Um, but I guess for me, you know, the talk, that's the one thing I definitely did not, did not miss, you know, working remotely, the people talking about each other, this person likes that person, blah, blah, blah. I don't have time for that. The systems barely work. They're old. They seem antiquated. Just give me my tools to do my job, and I'll do it. That's how I am about it. You know, I stay positive. You know, people, as far as I know, there hasn't been any chatter about me. But, again, I've only been there six weeks, and it probably could be. And I just don't know. However, I think a positive sign is that this one of the people who's there, um, she would contact my boss a lot to ask for information. Now she feels comfortable asking me for information because she believes I'm confident and can give her the information that she needs. So that's one positive about that. Um, but that's all that's going on there. So far, again, I seem to be doing okay. You know, no one hates me. I don't hate them. They're a little nosy about me having the office with a window. But I, you know, I didn't ask for it. It was assigned to me because I'm a contractor. What am I doing asking for office? That's ridiculous. Um, that's all I have for now. I can't think of anything else. Thank you. Much obliged. Our caller in Georgia. Um Oh, I'm sure they're hating. I'm, I'm sure it's some some hating going on. Uh, if they're gossiping, gossiping about all these other folks, I am certain. Like, how did she get a window office with the privacy? We got out here in cubicles and she got a window. I'm certain. I'm certain. Um, let's see. The All I say for the window, that's what I said before, those... Uh, possessive adjectives and such she didn't do that she said use the correct term she said the window office i was assigned what i'm gonna do my contract where i'm gonna tell her oh, no 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 no. i don't want the window put me down in the do you have a cardboard box put me down there no <laughs> you tell me this where i'm sitting at this where i'm sitting at all right i will enjoy it while i have it but hey they could move me tomorrow could move me today but I would enjoy it while I have it, like right on window office. 
I wouldn't, uh, just because there's no window, they may have Alexa or anything else uh, in there to be listening and all the rest of it. So, you know, we're always not I that. I keep the door open. <laughs> <laughs> right Whatever. on. I'm not trying to hide anything. Right on. Right on. Spoken like a genius. Spoken like a genius. No privacy, even if you don't have windows on your door or what have you. Don't think you're in a private space. Like, love it. Uh, let's see. The and the guy. See, that's why Mr. Fuller has that in the ten stops. All that gossiping. Then she said, "Hey, I the person that she was talking about bringing on black female, competent. Seems like she knows the job. Right on, professional. What's the problem?" Even said she sent her a note like, "Man, it's great, you know, working with you, and seems like you, you know, really know what you're doing and all the rest of it. Like, right on." Bravo. Black self-respect. Like, hey, offer some support and encouragement to another black colleague. That is amazing. That's not what they're doing. That's not what they're modeling. They're sitting around. Mm. I don't work with her. Mm. You hear about her? and Like, what? What? Once that, for me, major red flag, any of those environments like that? Like, hmm. Already know you all are talking about me, like the office and everything else. Like, okay, got it. And like she said, now we're working. We got this raggedy system. You can't even get things done. Had to get an extension on the project. Are we in here talking about that? All the things that we need to be learning and need to be maybe retrained and maybe we need to gripe to somebody so we can get upgrades to our equipment. Nah. Did you see what she had on? Look at those shoes. Oh, my God. Did you see what they put her? Why did they give her the office? That is racism, white supremacy. And that right there is a big part of the uh, what they call it. Great resignation and all the rest, because a whole lot of people have said, you know what? I am done. Have to go in and be tested and the Rona policy and all the rest of it. Just to hear you all sit around and cackle and gossip all day long. And the racism like I'm cool. No gossiping in the 10 stops for a reason. That is all that. That's what people are talking about. They miss that right there. Can't gossip like, you know, the good old days. We got to sit at home on Zoom and the person is right there. And you can't have any privacy. I got to be at work so we can get together and cackle and be deceptive. Talk trash about all the people that we work with. White supremacy culture right there. Much obliged, caller in Georgia. Uh, let's see. Other folks uh, who dialed in with a hand up, uh, if you have suggestions, what we've heard thus far, or if you have your own situation, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, ma'am. Um, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so I wanted to comment on the, the caller who's... Um, works for the district and has a son that attends school in the district. Um, so, yeah, they, they do need the staff there. Um, they don't, they need the children there, but they don't need the children there contaminating the other children because that means uh, the children, they don't get paid for the bodies that are at home. Um, so, and then too, most of the staff are supposedly vaccinated. 
So um, they're thinking um, if you're vaccinated and you're exposed to someone with the, this virus and you don't have the symptoms, you're fine. And if you got you got the um, virus and or you got the virus and you still were vaccinated, you do your days, whatever the uh, vaccinated days are, versus the unvaccinated quarantine days. So I don't know if the um, student is vaccinated or not, but they don't want the other bodies in the classroom to be exposed to the students versus the teacher. Or or I wouldn't even say the teacher because she said she wasn't a teacher versus a staff member. You're not necessarily um, around the children like the children are around each other, passing it around. Um, the superintendent in my I think they're all basically running on the same script. It seems like the school, the, all the school districts. So, um, well, basically public school, I would, I, I'd say, um, that the safest place for the district, head district, um, the district, the head people at the school district state that the safest place for the children is at school. But in her case, he has to wait until Thursday because, and then come back with the uh, with the negative um, test as well in order to come back to the school. So I know it sounds crazy because it is crazy because they really don't know what to do. They really just in real life want as many teachers there as possible. Um, and parents, please bring your kids to safe because they have to um, have to pay bills and they want that money. So it's it's better for the kids to be in school so so they can get paid. Um, It's not safer at all. It's awful. Um, At my district, um, it's so crazy. Uh, Like I stated before, one of the, um, I went to a classroom and um, the next day the class was on quarantine. So say we got back from break on Monday the 3rd, the 4th, the word got out that somebody had it, and by the by the end of the uh, 4th, the day of the 4th, that was it. The class is closed, so it's open. I think it took like maybe 10 days for the class to actually open back up, but the teacher's not coming back. The teacher went on permanent, on medical, family medical leave, FL, yeah, family medical leave, FMLA or something, whatever. They went on family leave. So um, because he has small children that aren't vaccinated, so he can't take the risk. And because the district isn't really doing anything, what they said they would do is get, so they got like maybe air purifiers. So each class class allegedly has air purifiers to purify the air. The doors are open, so it's so cold. And um, the windows are open, and they have um, these purifiers in the bathrooms, the the staff bathrooms. I don't don't see any in the students' bathrooms, but in the staff bathroom, there's these purifiers. And um, they're going to get N95 masks for every student. That's their their goal with all the money that they've made by having everyone in class and working. It's it's very dangerous. it's strange, and they don't really have answers. So if she were to 
I like the question mode, uh, staying in the question mode lane, especially as dealing with it thereafter. I would just ask a lot of questions because if you get the parents in, a lot of parents in real life, they'll take that risk and send their kids to school. Not every parent, but there are parents that just want the kids out of the house. I know a um, parent who has, you know, there's people in the home sick. Kids came back. It's like, oh, why are you here? Oh, I'm fine. Well, where's your brother or sister? Oh, they're uh, they're at home. My mom told me not to tell you why. So the parents are sending the kids to school and telling them not to say, not to give out any information, but children are children, so they they tell in their own way. So I would, yeah, you got to look for a new plantation, Um, but while you're there, I stay in question mode. Just ask a lot of questions about this, and they're not going to have answers because they don't have answers. You're going to notice when you ask these questions that they don't have answers, and they wish you'd be quiet. So I would keep it in the question mode, even if you're speaking with parents. I would just phrase everything as a question, and then you can take notes too on the responses that you get and um, figure out a way. Uh, to uh, deal with it while you're, well, deal with the staff while you're there, and then you know, like you said, just find a new, new place to uh, hang your hat for a while. Um, my workplace racism. <laughs> so uh, I have this teacher uh, that I do. I go to um, a classroom twice a week, and I'm there every. I'm there all day on these two times a week every other Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday. So um, she had me this week. I think sometimes she takes off work if I'm not going to be there. I, I'm telling you, I think she if she knows, like on my days that I'm not going to be there, I think she takes off. Um, this lady is getting her credentials, Caucasian lady from Oklahoma. So she's coming down here looking like old, old country bumpkin from Oklahoma all homely, these thick glasses. I'm not talking about it. I'm just giving you a description. So she's frumpy. She has a child, an adult child on the spectrum, so whatever that life is and however. So anywho, she's getting her credentials, so she gets grace and passes. So that's why I'm in there as well, because we have to help Lillian get her credentials, and we don't want Lily to quit because those children give her a run for her money. So a class might be maybe, it's less than 15 students. I give her 10 students in the class. Um, and a lot of the times they're not all there. They go back and forth between, because of this virus and uh, things. Or if they need a haircut, they'll, they'll take off. I'm back. So um, three of my, three of the children that I'm there for, or in her class. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. One particular one is the little girl that likes to lay on the um, floor. And I'm sleeping. So she's sleeping. So um, when I'm not there, the little girl is a mess. But when I am there, it, it's I guess it's a different environment. Um, so then I come, she sees me, and she's, 
Cookie Ryan gave me a hug because they said she was looking for me. Um, she'll go off looking for me. So um, I, I deal with her or whatever. So she, I want to play gotcha pop. Whatever this game is, she didn't download it on my phone. So I'm like, not right now. <laughs> Free play. So can you get such and such? Get her what? Yeah, I guess I can get her, but yeah, come on over here, little girl. Let's just... And so they, the way they have it set up with the children learning, they're learning, they have these uh, laptops. So they have these laptops, and they do math from the laptop and some other subject they're doing from these laptops. But they also have other windows open to watch whatever they do. So, of course, all the kids are on whatever their YouTube, whatever it is they're at, they're on that, and then they flip back over and do whatever they're going to do. So the whole class is watching this little girl. Jessica's not on there. She's not doing her. They're all focused on her. So I said, hey, let me let me get her. She can come sit with me. You sit back here with me since the whole world is looking at this one child. Let me, you come back here with me. Okay, she can go back there with you. So I get her to do. She, of course, she's going to go back and forth went through windows, but as long as I keep her back. And the teacher, she's so combative with these children. She's like an old grumpy grandma, and it's annoying for the children, especially, you know, because they have delays as well. So um, <laughs> I, um, she, I, so the, the, the actual paraeducator, I guess they're calling, I don't know what a paraeducator is. It sounds like a teacher's aide. So the paraeducator didn't come in. She wasn't there. I totally don't know the the routine of the class like that. I'm only in there dealing with behavior, and I can help out, but I don't know the and this and who's on. I don't know any of that foolishness. But if you ask me, will I do something? It's 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 possible that I'll do it. You need to go outside with the kids. Sure, I try to take a mental memory of what they look like so I can make sure they all come back. I I, I don't know. And then they put so much, this lady, she put so much on me, like I'm supposed to do all this stuff. And and the class is out of control. So she's grumping. And I said, so the little girl, when I got there, she's saying, I have to I have to go pee. You just went to the bathroom. You just left the bathroom. You don't have to pee. So she's got to pee. So she's doing the dance and all that stuff. Gotta pee. Well, she's not gonna let up. She's gotta pee. No, you just went to the bathroom. Sit down and do your work. So I said, "Do you think it's possible that she has to use the bathroom?" She just went to the bathroom. I said, "I'm only saying this because sometimes children with disorders they have internal issues as well. Sometimes." So it's possible that she has to use the bathroom. It's possible that her bladder is not as like a, a, a nine-year-old that can hold her urine. So, now mind you, I get there at uh, 8, 8.45, whenever I call up in there. But she may have to use the bathroom. So now she's mad at me, the teacher. I said, well, look, I got to use the bathroom. Can I borrow your key so I can use the bathroom? If it's not a problem for people to use the bathroom, because I didn't go, so I get her a little dirty key. And um, 
Go to the ba- you can go to the bathroom, so-and-so. Talking to the little girl for now, all of a sudden the little girl go to the bathroom. So I guess I got to watch it. Go to the bathroom while I go to the bathroom. I fly in there, use the bathroom real quick, and then come out so I can watch her to make sure she goes back to class. So um, I give her back a little thank you key. And um, I always use Clorox wipes when I get these keys and, you know, I'll clean them. <laughs> and I give them back to them. Holding a particular way, give you back your little key. It's clean now. It probably wasn't before. So then she gets a bickering and arguing. Now I guess it's people. They have different things. Some go to math at this time. Some go to this place at this time. So another one of my caseloads is very attached to the black male. It's a black male that's on my load as well. Very attached. Oh, could you do work not without him? Um. No, no, nah, I'm doing it with him, waiting on him. No, I want to go with him. No, that's my best friend. I got to be with him. So the Spanish, looks like he speaks Spanish, the, the guy, this big guy that's chasing around this little, I think he's like maybe second or greater little boy, but he has issues as well. And the class, and it just goes on. So I come back in from wherever I'm at, maybe lunch, the little boy. Now, mind you, the social distance, right? That everything should be a, a step, a particular way. This boy is group like they're in, on a bench together. They're sitting right next to each other. He moves his chair over there. He doesn't even need his desk, the little black boy, because he's got his laptop on his lap while they just over there talking. And I guess I'm supposed to do something about it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm supposed to do something. So mind you, I still have this little girl because she's in the same class. So she's grumping and stuff. So I said, hey, 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 lady, look, I'm trying to help you. So all this grumping and stuff, I'm just asking you, what is your protocol for when they don't listen? What do you do? Do you just let them, do you just back and forth, do you just have any verbal battle with these little kids? What what, what happened? Well, I was like, look, you don't have to yell at me. I said, and all that barking and yelling at me, it's not necessary because I'm trying to help you. Well, I'm like that with everybody. I'm like that already. Hey, grumpy smurf. You're not going to be able to communicate with me in that fashion because I'm trying to help you. Well, I need help with everyone in the class. I need help. Can you hear me? Oh, we can now. We lost you for... Oh, sorry, it went to a conference or something. I don't know. But anyway, this lady, this crazy uh, white lady is just, she's so accustomed to, uh, because the other aide is black, and the way she comes in and the way she interacts, I I, I act totally different, and I'm I'm rather no-nonsense. So I just had to let the teacher know you're not going to be able to talk to me in that fashion, and I'm trying to help you, so you're going to have to calm down. And she just let me know that that's how she is. She's already all ramped up because I'm trying to get my credentials right now. I'm in school. And, you know, they have all these excuses. So I noticed that everybody is catering to this white lady because she's trying to get her credentials. And she's under a lot of pressure with these little bitty kids, and she's so stressed out. So what I told her, I said, look, what's up with the point system? You need a point system for these kids. Well, um, um, she's trying to implement a point system. I said, and they need to be able to see the point. If it is no value if they can't see the point. They want to see what they're earning. You have to have something, give them something, and for them to give you something. And um, with some of the kids, they won't do their work. So I'm just like, I'll have to 
Oh, you want to? You better crunch those numbers. You you want to? They're beating you. You better catch up. So a little girl get on there, catch up, and then she's done. So I can only do so much, but you got to watch your tone with me. And I noticed too how they're crutching, how they deal different with white teachers than they do other teachers, and they make sure white teachers have as much help to succeed as needed. And um, I'll mute my line, and thanks for taking my call. Much obliged. Woo. Bay Area mom. We will hear her uh, commentary from the King Holiday. Uh, That was last week, Neutralizing Workplace Racism. Uh, We will get a... uh, a reprisal uh, for the compensatory call in tomorrow, but much obliged, ma'am. Um, question lane, always super effective, uh, always encouraged. In fact, ask questions. Uh, combative. I was snickering at the end. My uh, victim of racism I uh, went to school with uh, chatted up about racism many, many times. That used to be one of his catchphrases. Watch your tone. Watch your tone. People be talking crazy. Watch your tone. Watch your tone. Um, let's see. To make notes. Uh, the, the man, that is so sad. Like the young lady in school, she told about last week who would do the laying down and she's going to sleep and that sort of thing. And, they can't even be consistent with that. She said last week, one moment, it's all right. She's going to lay down and sleep. That's just her. And then the next time, hey, 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 get up off the floor. I'm like, which is it? Can you sleep or can you not sleep? Which is it? Let me know so, you know, we don't have all this combativeness unnecessarily. This time around, I got to go to the bathroom. Sit down. You know, like, come on. And I mean, that is so stant. Like, number one, I talked about that before. Neutralizing workplace racism. When you're at a job and they got to control your genitals, you can't even go to the bathroom. Amazon workers like why is it so many folks in a system of white supremacy from childhood to grave are in environments where they can't even go to the bathroom? Why is that? Why is it assumed that you got a nine year old, an eight year old? Why up? You're up to no good. You're up to no. Mm-hmm. What are you doing in the bathroom? Making bombs. Hmm. It, it can't be in the realm of possibility that. She has to go to the bathroom that you don't think that's remotely possible that that's what this could be. Y'all don't have enough like time limits like you get a bathroom pass per hour type of a thing or 45 minutes or whatever you think is reasonable. Like y'all don't have something else other than just sit down and you're not going to like really. Urinary tract infection. Uh, that's what the doctor said. Uh, if you nature is calling answer nature's call if she didn't have some sort of issues and what have you that sort of thing you have to go to the bathroom and then you have a nasty cruel white woman uh, who will not allow you to go (laughs) now you can end up with some issues Uh, let's see and then you gotta even I gotta go to the bathroom go and try and you know advocate on behalf of the little girl well let me go to the back Let let me get the key so I can go and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, same with the flip-flopping. No, you can't go to the bathroom. No, you can't sleep on the Oh, okay, you can sleep on the floor. 
Okay, you can go to the bathroom. Uh, and I was saying when you asked for the key, I was saying, oh, yeah, she's about both of you all are about to be some niggers. All these niggers got their weak bladders. Oh, tired of all these niggers disrupting class, going to the bathroom every five seconds. That's when she turned her tongue to be nasty and hostile here, too, asking, what do you mean? Asking questions about what's supposed to be asking all these questions, questioning niggers. That when they again, same thing that I've said, school to prison pipeline, the person who is most to blame, white, this here white woman, that's like 70. Every time young academic, he's on the total opposite side of the continent from Bay Area mom and myself. Every time he calls in, it's not white man did this and the white man did that and the white man messed me over in grad school and blah, blah, blah. And the white man won't let me be a teacher and the white man. is That's not what he says. Every time white women, hostile, combative, can't even go to the bathroom without that being a drag out war. Children are the future. That's that's what they Whitney Houston. Isn't that Whitney Houston? Mm, mm, mm. Uh, and appreciation for the chaos with the COVID in schools. Uh, we got another recommendation for just asking question. Educator and mother who dialed in earlier, uh, who's talking about the, the wackiness, uh, them having such a contradictory uh, COVID policy educators. She has to be in on Monday morning. Students got to be in later talking about how this is being influenced by money. Lots of other things uh, and saying that they are probably going to struggle with logic uh, to answering questions as to why the policy is operating in this manner and why there's such a difference in terms of the student response, faculty response. They will probably have a tough time giving you logical responses, but ask anyway. Uh, let's see. Number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, folks, we missed totally. If you have a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Can I jump in here? Yes, sir. Uh, how's it going, Gus and listeners? Uh, one of the things that I was going to make a comment on, and I thought about it for about the last week, was uh, to the last caller. Um, I advise you to be very careful with allowing uh, the students at that school to download anything to your device, given that that's your personal device. Because when you think about it, schools have uh, policies in terms of, you know, what students are allowed to see and interact with uh, might seem to be something innocent, but if I were you, I'd run that past the uh, administrators to see if that's something that they allow. Uh, if so, I wouldn't, still wouldn't have it downloaded to my device. I would let that kid, I'd ask administrators to get a device specifically for the kids. He stated that they have a laptop computers. So seeing if maybe that type of game or similar game is available for uh, those laptops that the school supplies them with, I think that would be a uh, much more logical choice because then the school would have to approve 
uh, that kid using that program in comparison to you just downloading it to try to calm the kid down and then they catch wind of it and decide to uh, cut that contract. Uh, my next one is hearing about the uh, student not being able to, you know, go and use the bathroom. There was a story that um, Mr. Nasheed posted on his Twitter a couple of days ago about a young, I believe the girl is around eight, nine years old, uh, female, and I want to say it's down in Florida, where uh, administrators were um, not allowing her to use the restroom, and I guess she has bladder issues that is well documented in her files. And I guess uh, the teacher that she was with, uh, she got transferred out of that classroom, and said teacher decided to, in a way, retaliate by accusing the girl of stealing a phone or something like that and um, brutally pulled her off the bus. So I, I see that seems to be a, a pretty consistent theme amongst these uh school administrators and teachers. I believe the woman was a white woman. They said she had something like 40 years of experience. Um, another one that I heard was in Lorraine, Ohio, where these administrators had this young girl have to eat her lunch out of a garbage pail. So, yeah, I, I've come to see that uh, you guys should probably keep a, a very good eye on these teachers who are around your kids because I think that's where a lot of the uh, black self-hate is starting to be taught at and has been taught at, but we've overlooked it because we tend to try to look at the white male as being the uh, aggressor in terms of the distribution of white supremacy. Uh, that's all I had to say. Much obliged, sir. Lorraine, Ohio. Why does that have seems familiar for some reason I had to think must maybe something happened there or an event Lorraine Ohio why is that significant maybe it'll come to me but I think that's a great uh, suggestion for our Bay Area mom uh, about the phone uh, I think I said eight I think these folks may be a little younger than that but even still like I do think that's like yeah probably something to uh think about strongly in terms of just having students downloading things to your device and then like you were saying like hey a lot of schools they can be very sensitive about which sites or games or that sort of thing children especially if they're younger uh have access to uh, and then if they you know end up saying it's a problem and all the rest like yeah i think that's great i think it would definitely be better uh to have them any of the students on a tablet or anything other than your personal uh device uh, that way, you know, whatever the game is and uh, all the rest of it, bam, we can check it out, make sure it's no problem. And yeah, I think that's excellent. Definitely not a habit I would encourage having uh, students, if you work with young folks, uh, allowing them to download items on your device. Uh, let's see. The And the bathroom. Yeah, that's it's generations man of that like just controlling black people like not allowing them to go to the bathroom and all the rest of like i said i don't know what you you timothy mcveigh anarchist cookbook that's what you're going to the bathroom for right like are you serious that's the same thing if you didn't have some sort of urinary problem bladder problem you will now by the time these white female educators are done with you oh yeah you will then and like I said, it continues childhood all the way up through adults. Why do you have workers at Amazon saying consistently they got to ride around with empty water bottles so that they can urinate? 
system of white supremacy got to control the genitals of black people. Uh, let's see. Much obliged, our caller in Ohio. Still hasn't come to me. Lorraine, Ohio. What is significant about Lorraine, Ohio? Hmm. If I jump in, it, it, I know Lorraine. I've been out to Lorraine maybe once or twice. Uh, from my understanding, of it, it's a, it has a larger uh, Puerto Rican population out there. But uh, just recently, I guess this lady was an administrator, um, and that did it. I, I mean, the story is about maybe two months old. I believe the young lady's parents are suing the school system. Uh, the perpetrators, from my understanding, were let go. Now, if if she was let go with pay um, and full benefits, I, I can't speak on that. But um, I'm pretty sure Lorraine, at one point in time, was probably a sundown town also, because this is pretty deep on the west side. Um, if you know where Cleveland Airport is at, it's probably about... It's, it's even further west than that, from my recollection. Maybe even like uh, west, uh, west, uh, northwest, maybe. But um, anywho, yeah, yeah. It's, now it's a more, you know, you might call it minority, but it has a very strong Hispanic slash Puerto Rican population out there. Much obliged. A little bit of history of Lorraine, Ohio. It'll. Maybe I have to dig around to see why is that? What significance do I attach to that area? I don't think I've ever been there, so I—that's way more detail than I've ever known about the town. I think until I find out, you know, why it's significant. But uh, let's see. Did other folks dialed in with a hand up? Uh, if you all have commentary uh, to share, suggestions uh, for our parents, or if you have your own situation that you want to discuss, uh, if you have a hand up, line should be open. Making sure. Oops, oops, oops. Make sure I get um. Greetings, everyone. Just, just listening right now. Much obliged, caller in Florida. Uh, let's see. Retired firefighter, sorry. Other folks who dialed in that we missed totally. Who is in Florida? Other folks who dialed in that we missed totally. Maybe her. Uh, Dread 138. Yes, sir. Yes, good evening, Gus. Good evening, callers. Good evening, listeners or participants. Um, for the educator in, uh, who was having the incongruous COVID policy, I definitely would um, document, inquire, and, and then continue a search for a new plantation. Um, I wanted to share something that's been pressing on, well, yeah, a question I've been pressing with me for some time, for the, for the past week, and I wrote it down. So how much encouragement would you provide to a suspected basis when they report they are having difficulty retaining information you as, a, you as an instructor are presenting? Uh, if I'm doing it in a professional, like workplace capacity, um, I'd want to be a competent instructor, right? Cause I would think if I'm an instructor, if this is a part of my job duties, 
uh, to train. If it's, you know, train someone classified as white, train a non-white person. Um, I'd want to be competent at that. Uh, I would probably make sure I went above and beyond the call of duty for a non-white person, but I would want to be a competent trainer uh, regardless. Um, just one, first and foremost, looking out for me because I would think a white person, if they go back and say that they weren't trained properly and it was me, they had some incompetent nigger trainer that that could you know, get me in trouble. So uh, I wouldn't go above and beyond, but I would definitely be competent uh, so that they could say that you know they got correct information, that they were adequately trained. Uh, the first time around and, you know, don't need some sort of refresher, remedial training uh, to make up for my shortcomings. Uh, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, if I might add a additional context, because it was I just like I said, this past week I had a class and the um, one um, suspect racist, he was he actually went into a whole performance. I, that's the best way I can describe it. How uh, he had a learning disability and and so forth and he wasn't he was un unsure about getting, gaining new information about the rules of um the particular job he's um he was taking on. But uh, I didn't it occurred to me like I said at some he's he's fairly young because I happened to you know have a conversation with him. So I asked him so how old do you say he's thirty? So I said to you know, I sat back and thought to myself, he's more than likely going to surpass me in, in title at some point and wind up being above me in in some capacity, regardless of his qualifications. But like I said, I did want to make sure he understood the material I presented. So I want to add just add that. But like I said, yeah, that is a it does make a lot of sense. And like I said, I wasn't going above and beyond because at some point when he was. Um, Performing about his uh, lack of ability to retain, I kind of looked at it as more performance rather than actual crack or help. That makes sense. Thank you. Oof. Racist man, racist woman, racist child. They can be so lame at times. And what I mean by that, um, when we were talking about burnout before, at the beginning of the program, I said, we're in a system of white supremacy racism. Y'all got all the resources, right? That's not saying every white person is Bill Gates or what have you, Paula Dean, in terms of resources. But I mean, if you're classified as white, like you're in a way better position than any non-white person, a lot more is going to be available to you. So you should not be all burnt out and struggling and all this. I'm struggling to retain information. Get it. Get your life together, man. Do some push-ups. Get out. Are you coming to a nigra for like moral support? Are you serious? Jesus, man. Come on. Come on. Come on. Go, uh, you know, do some do like I said, do some push-ups, man. Get your life together, man. Figure it out. You're you're a white man. Act like it. Uh, but in terms of training, what you mentioned in terms of hey, this person is younger than me, younger than I will surpass me, be promoted right on up the ladder, uh, learning disabilities, what have you, notwithstanding. Even if you did the worst job, trained, like gave him all incorrect information and just tried to set him back, all of that could still happen, probably will still happen. He could be totally incompetent in every way, shape, form, and still get promoted. Like that's what the system of white supremacy racism means. And I'm sure some of the people listening right now 
could attest to that, if not you yourself, sir. So, yeah, and the other way, hey, we got firefighter. I just said, not just caller in Florida, retired firefighter. So, if he, or I'm thinking some of the folks who uh, drive together, if I don't train this person properly, they might kill and or injure themselves and or me. Now, I don't know if it's that type of job, but I mean, for some people, like, Oh, yeah, this training thing is serious. Like everybody is going to be trained correctly uh, if I have anything to do with it. Uh, and even if it's not life or death, per se, if this is just filling out paperwork and what have you, that would just come back to the same thing in terms of competency. Uh, that that if that's a part of my job, I'm sure this is especially if this is not some I just do this as an extra task that we talked about type of thing. But if I'm trained and that's a part of my qualifications, compensation training oh yeah i want to be a great trainer anybody you are trained one time bango got it gus i do not need any refreshers like i am ready to go he is a great trainer that's the type of reputation i would want but yeah even if you were the worst trainer ever system of white supremacy they the guest we had on the program yesterday chuck stewart said i'm not a genius i'm not super smart he called himself a goober Lots of white goobers get promoted. Uh, let's see if we have any any other anyone want to give any feedback on the you are a trainer in a workplace capacity. Uh, do you train a white person? Do you give him wrong information or not quite do your your best when you're training someone classified as white as opposed to non-white person? Or do you just train everybody to make sure that they know the material my question i have is was this guy required to take a test to get that job um i know jobs that i've worked before a lot of a lot more of these jobs what i'm seeing are starting to run like an aptitude test to see how well you can retain information how well you can problem solve so was there any type of testing he had to take before getting hired Yes, um, if I'm not mistaken, the most of, like I said, most of the tests, most of the positions that um, in my agency are um, by test, and like I said, uh, even the promotionals are by test. So if you, you know, if you retain retain information, you will you will definitely go forward, and it's it's not even um, dependent on that because as I stated, sometimes you have people. Who, got, who are unqualified who will still move forward. But yes, um, short answer, he, um, I am pretty sure he took a test in order to get into the, at least into the entry level position and then to go forward, he would have to take another test to um, move forward. How did he get assigned to you? Was this like uh, one of the higher ups said, hey, I want you to train this guy or did they just kind of throw him in your lap? No, what what it is, like I said, um, part of uh, something, part of my new uh, responsibilities, I like train or yeah, train them to be qualified in a certain task, um, uh, working on the working on the subway track. So he has to be has to be um, trained and qualified on um, the rules, the procedures, and um, safety. Um, working on on subway tracks, so 
everybody, you know, saying they as a new hire, they would have to come come to my come to my class. So if he were to uh, not uh, get the, uh, let's say he can't really retain information. I don't. I'm not saying I believe the guy, but pretty much he would fail a test if he can't retain it at that level. I mean, you're working on subway tracks. Isn't there an electrical component to subway tracks? Yes, sir. Very much so. So if he were to grab the wrong uh, wire or step on the wrong track, that could be it for him then? Most definitely. Do you think that this guy is sitting here lying to you to... Uh, in some way, practicing deception for some ulterior motive. I like to, as I say that I did. I sense a more performative uh, component of it. Yes, so I don't know if he was just being deceptive, rather than just being decept, um, rather than just being performative and saying and um, uh, whining about having to learn this new information. Interesting. Oh, sorry about that, Gus. Man, my phone went down. Um, so, what is what is the requirement for him to get to the next level? Like, you're training him on a specific task. Do you get to take him out there and test him that he understands that task, or is that somebody else's duty? No, like I said, yes. Part of part of my part of my component, like I said, it's a nine day class, and I have him for two days, or have the group have a group of them for two days. And we'll go over, we'll reinforce the rules, um, take them out into the field and have them perform the task and, you know, make sure they are performing it safely. So then they go back and they'll continue to reinforce what's called posting. They'll go out to the field with other experienced people in their departments and we'll Actually, actually work on actual jobs rather than having exercises like I do over the two days, and they'll come back and they'll take take the um, a final exam. So yes, um, he still has to be qualified, but like I said, um, that the whole thing where he kind of seemed to he acted like he was overwhelmed by all this information. Uh, I wanted to know, like I said, that's where I was like, how far should I encourage him? when I know that he'll probably still be able to move forward. Because, like I said, it's not, it's, it wasn't particularly difficult. But I, I understand sometimes it, it can be overwhelming for any, any, any person, not white or non-white. Because, like I said, they all, knew, they all knew hires to the agency. And, um, you know, it's coming from, coming from an outside, coming from the outside, so to say, to get them up for coming from the outside, so to say, it's, it's a whole different thing, and it can be um, intimidating because, like I said, now you're know, facing subway trains on the ground level, and it's uh, it's different from you standing on the platform. I can I can attest to that. So um, yes, but you know, like I I just I just suspect I the, that was the question. I just the, the main question was like, how far do I want to go above? And to reassure this man that this this white man that he's uh, 
going to be all right. I mean, yes, it sounds like to me that's more like a, a moral dilemma as opposed to a uh, what you're hired for. You're hired to train them, not necessarily encourage them. So what encourages one person might not encourage another person. The idea of failure encourages some people to succeed while other people are just like, yeah, it's a part of life. So I, I personally wouldn't be concerned about how I can encourage a person because that's not what you're hired for. I'd say focus on laying out the information, stay consistent with it, and document it just in case something happens with this guy and he ends up toast on the tracks and they come back looking at you like, well, did you train him adequately? I believe in corporate America, stick to the book. Stick to the book. If, if it's not in the book that they're telling you to go up and beyond, don't do that because that will blow up in your face. I've never seen it go good for a, for a black person who's in a training position to try to figure out how to better convey information to anybody. I, I say stick with the plan. If it was your company, unless I'm an heir, if it's your company, then I can understand that. But if somebody else's stuff, just stick to the plan so that you can document the steps you took as long as it falls in line with what their training procedures are. The rest is on him, in my opinion. Indeed. Thank you. Agreed. That's like when you... The original context for your question, sir, when you were saying, you know, how much would I do for a white person? Now, if this was a non-white person and they made a statement like that, like, man, sometimes I feel like I have difficulty retaining information. Like, like I said, above and beyond, I would do a lot more to encourage them. Like, you can do it and encourage them. Like, come on, man, just hang in there. It's not that difficult and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, yeah, for, for a white person, nah, that's like, that's not my job. I'm not here to like motivate you and you are a grown white man, race soldier, grown white woman, race soldier. You do not need a motivational speech from a Negro or you shouldn't. Uh, did any other folks comments on this one, training a white person, how they would respond? Okay. Other folks, uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Yes. Uh, on the latter part of my uh, time as a uh, firefighter, I uh, worked in training for about maybe uh, maybe six months, something like that. Uh Basic, basically, uh, you can't in that environment. You can't separate the two. It's it's much like what you mentioned uh, that you, uh, as a uh, as a worker, uh, you are uh, uh, are able to uh, be pretty good at it. Uh, no matter who uh, is uh, the person that's being trained, because ultimately uh, it can uh, not only save the life of somebody in public, <laughs> it can also save a, a uh, fellow coworker in that type of situation. Uh, but I have seen, I have seen uh, some, uh, bad situations primarily because of the trainer 
was inserting inserting their own egotistical behavior uh, into uh, the training process uh, to either uh, have a in, in, uh, a means of uh, frightening the person so that they would resign uh, or just just from the ego itself wanting to know that they you know they uh, have control over frightening uh, people who are training for a job such as the fire department uh, there was a case right after I left from training to go back out in the field where a segment of white trainers killed a, a person that was in training white male at that, uh, for from the very, the very thing that I mentioned, uh, it was a situation whereas, uh, they were placed in a, uh, I forgot what the name of the uh, situation is called, but you, you're, in a, you're in a very hot environment. And uh, already you get a claustrophobic type of, uh, type of uh, uh, feeling. And on top, of, on top of that, you are under a very hot environment. It's a real fire. It actually is a real fire. Uh, they are supposed to be uh, kept calm and escorted and trained on what to do. And, and, and in turn, it's, it's just logical for the, for the trainer to be calm, to calm the uh, students, so to speak. No, these guys wanted to try to uh, frighten people. And in turn, it, it, it backfired on them. And it got so hot that they actually left him in the fire. They actually left him in the fire. Uh, and so, uh, that, uh, took place right after I left from training to go back out in the field. There's also was a, uh, uh, a law enforcement case that went viral. Uh, it was somewhere in South Florida. I, I forget at the top of my head on, on where it occurred. They're still having it running parts of it on the news. Uh, whereas this white male, big, big, uh, white male tattoos all over his arms and whatnot. Uh, basically, uh, he was, the, well, then again, that wasn't training. So that wasn't training. So I, 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 that wasn't really training that, but basically it was something that was totally against what they, what the, what law enforcement is supposed to be getting trained for, which is to de-escalate. And he was escalating and another law enforcement officer came to restrain him. That happened to be a white female. This was a white male and a white female. And he basically put his hands on a throat and, uh, and I'm pretty sure that happens. That happens frequently, uh, on that job also, you know, 
similar things to try to frighten people, you know, from that standpoint, uh, because it's, it's the ego when you, when you able to, when you accomplish such things, uh, on a job, on a job like the fire department or, or the police department. Yeah. Uh, train people with the idea in mind of, of, uh, of doing the best that you can. Of doing the best you can. Yeah. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. That is about what I thought. I, we are on the fire department. Now, this is two days in a way that we two days in a row that we heard about pranks in the workplace. Uh, the race soldier yesterday was bragging about they would leave uh, fake snakes in the house for the black house make, uh, house worker, domestic, so-called, uh, because she's uh, afraid of snakes. She half kill herself running through the wall to get out of the house. And then retired five minutes. It'd be so funny out there and their training will really turn the heat up on them. <laughs> Why is this prank time in the fire department? Like this is supposed to be life and death and all these things. They've been talking about the tragedy out in Bronx, New York and 17 people died and children and all the red like this is, you know, serious business. Why is this, you know, laughing and joking time? Like, train people correctly that's what this should be about right lord that if anything i would say that is a reason right there because so frequently in the system of white supremacy people are not trained correctly they don't even train them we have so many people who call in and talk, they didn't even train us or deliberately trained us with misinformation or made sure that we were not trained and all the rest. i had to beg for training go back and ask over and over and over that's such a staple part of white supremacy racism that, yeah, I would th- universal man, universal woman, train people correctly. You want to train them correctly? Then just, I don't want to do it. No, thank you. I'm not available for this one or whatever reason. Could be life and death for a lot of it. Sub- life and death. Fire department. Life and death. Race soldiers. You just reminded me of something. Uh my recruit class, uh, normally on Dade County Fire Department, the, 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 the uh, recruit classes lasted for, for uh, 16 weeks. Uh, eight, the first eight weeks is to certify you in the state of Florida as a firefighter. And the second eight weeks is to certify you into being an emergency medical technician, EMT. Uh, what took place with my class, uh, I think it was something, I forgot what it was considering, but anyway, they put us out in the field after only eight weeks. And, uh, uh, we actually was getting trained on, on, uh, emergency medicine, uh, out, out on calls itself. I don't call maybe in the fire station that sort of thing. And they thought about it. Yeah, that, that's probably not a good idea. You know, they, they're they going on emergency calls and we haven't even trained them on how to put a Band-Aid in the right place. So what they did, they, they pulled our class out of the field for about a week and trained us into basic first aid, something that you can teach a middle school child on where to put a bandage, 
you know, such things. And uh, they were doing a lot of wrong things during that period of time uh, because guys also who did not want to go on rescue calls have to ride on the rescue units. They would, they would allow for their EMT license to expire so they wouldn't be put on, on the rescue truck <laughs> and have to get up 3, 4, three, four o'clock in the morning to go on calls. Uh, and finally they got, they got smart about it because even with that case with the uh, white male who was killed, killed on the, on the job in training, I'm pretty sure his, his survivors probably got millions of dollars in a lawsuit, you know, but anyway, uh, they kind of like, uh, stop doing, stop, stop uh, operating in such a, a failing type of way and uh you know made it made it demanded that you had to have your keep your licenses uh updated they would kind of like just drag you through it you know anyway you weren't gonna fail <laughs> you know from that standpoint but uh, uh you just they, they made people now to have to just have to uh keep up their licenses over the years, no matter, no matter what, long as you still have that job, you better have that license. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, but for the most part, and I, and I noticed it for the most part was white people, uh, with the, the, the attitude, the, the attitude that's involved into the training or into what policy states makes it bad on the on on the public makes it bad on the public that's what that was the example with the uh the law enforcement officer one was trained to de-escalate that's why she responded by admonishing a co-worker <laughs> and uh and in turn this guy was used to mistreating people in public uh, the victim was a black male if anybody wanted to know the victim of this, of this, uh, mistreatment was a black male who, who he was in the process of getting about to get maced by this race soldier, suspected race soldier. Yeah. Bad training. Lots of that to go around in the system of white supremacy, uh, particularly if the people being trained are non-white. But, hey, even a lot of individuals who are white end up being improperly trained or not trained at all, because that's a part of it, too. Like we were saying, so-called meritocracy, you have a lot of folks who are incompetent. I just can't process the information and they just get right. Eh, it's all right, Bob. We'll work with you. Lots of folks poorly trained that just add that in with all the recklessness uh, of the system of white supremacy uh, let's see we have 15 minutes left in the broadcast uh, folks that we missed totally uh, if you're on the line have commentary observations suggestions to share proceed can I be heard oh go ahead no you go first can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Our caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to 
guests, the hosts, the listeners, and callers. Um, I just wanted to share really quick. Uh, there were two people, uh, white people, that um, made a report or were were talking about being harassed, I guess, uh, saying that, or being asked if they were going to come back into work, you know, after five days. I guess that's what the CDC guidelines were recently, something about that. And they were positive, and they, from what I heard them say, you know, they were like, I'm not coming back in and this and that. And I didn't see any kind of consequences come about on them, but I haven't heard a black person do that. So I wanted to report that first um, because I really would wonder what would happen to a black person, right? Uh, Because I know to some degree uh, they're doing overtime with certain people where they can gain PTO and they don't lose PTO. But I'm hearing one black female in the traffic area. It was uh, reported to me that she had to sign something to be eligible to work from home, but uh, this same victim was shown a picture by another white person of another white person, a you know, clans woman working from home on the on the laptop, and she just caught COVID this week. And I want to segue into uh, I was going to the elevator and. I was about to get on the elevator, and, sh- and this same person um, was carrying a microwave, right? So I said, you know what? If I get on this elevator with this white female, they're going to say, well, why didn't you help her? You know, so I said, hey, I got to go to the bathroom real quick. So I turned around, left her there, so she can get on the elevator because, you know, I didn't want that perception placed onto me because, you know, racism, I can just sense that it was going to be practiced by the white sheriffs up there, so I let her go. Uh, That same person caught COVID-19 this week, so uh, thankfully I didn't have any contact with her, and there was a a line of tackiness uh, from the warden, and I think her and the clerk I don't know I can say at odds or they don't really like each other too much. They're two white people still, but I think she said this uh, in a way she wouldn't have said it to his dad because his dad used to be the, the former clerk, right? So it was at the end of the newsletter, and it has an image of uh, some hair, black hair, right, dark color hair. His hair is in that color in a uh, dustpan and there's some words on the left that says, Oh, you know, after the year challenge, the clerk finally decided to get a buzz to start out the new year to start out fresh. And the, and she said the lost locks will be donated to a local rat's nest. And it had three smiley faces at the end. So I'm thinking in my mind, did he read this? Uh, I wasn't sure because I never seen nothing like that. Uh, 
like that, blatant like that. Um, I wanted to report that. Uh, and my, my next one, I have two more. Uh, there was an email that went out, and the supervisor called it chain of reporting. I don't know if I may have mentioned this, but it was on my mind again. But she kept out the new HR's name uh, out of the uh, list of names of who to send it to. But the black female, um, she's supposed to be the next in line to be assistant manager. So they had her title listed beyond the coordinators. Uh, which are three people who know each other socially outside of the job. Uh, I think she was doing that to be deceitful, but yet she named the HR manager by name. So she did that twice and then put the um, the HR manager name last at the end of the email. Um, and then one last thing is, Gus, I, I had sent you in, uh, an email with an image of uh that was in a archived uh newsletter from the job i think it's from 2020 and it has the the five white women with the rifles and the wedding dresses they the warden like her daughter got married you know like she actually put this in the newsletter and when you look at it, it's like, why? I'm thinking, why would they put that in there? But I'm thinking, you know, white supremacy, of course. But I wanted to send you that image so you could just see it for yourself, you know. Uh, and I'm thinking that they are a Trump supporter, you know, MAGA and all of that white supremacy. And that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak. What in the... What does the wedding dress have to do with the firearm? Like, is that... I've heard you get married and you throw the rice. I've heard you get married and you do the broom hop, right? And you do the threshold. I've heard, I have never heard, let me get my white gown and my firearm. Matter of fact, all you gals, get your firearms. Let's go get our picture together. We'll cock what and then even now imagine our caller in Florida imagine he gets married his bride decides black female of course decides hey grab some of my bridesmaids got our you know fresh six sours let's let's line one up ladies oh, oh are they gonna put that in the newsletter And he has like the most violent females. He had the one female, her husband or partner dude was out slicing people's necks and what have you. And they had another one where they were posting images talking about being the devil. Like what? This is the fair lady of Florida. If anything, this is what I said. When you go out and about, this is who you could be bumping into male or female. Uh, Bay Area caller, before we uh, run out of time, Bay Area mom, sorry. Did you have a comment, suggestion you were going to add, ma'am? Yes, I just, um, 
I love the caller in Florida stories. And those courtroom stories are great. But I just wanted to say um, to the, um, the the guy that I had to train the other guy, yeah, I think with every everyone that you train anywhere you go, you want to make sure you give them all the information that they need to do the job correctly because it will come back on the trainer, especially if the uh, the person you were trained was white. Um, so that that's all I wanted to throw in. Um, you guys gave good suggestions to them, so I also wanted to second that. Yeah, make sure you train everybody the same. But if you see us and we need a little more help, you're welcome to help us, but I wouldn't go above and beyond, but I would also follow the protocol and train everybody the same because like fire, um, like the uh, firefighter in Florida was stating, if you're not properly trained, anything can go wrong, and then it does come back to you, and then it's what the worst part is a, a life could be lost as well because of um, inadequate information. And thank you. I'll mute my line. Indeed, indeed, train people correctly. Think that is much closer to universal man, universal woman. If the non-white person, they're classified as black and they need a little extra nudge, if they need that little emotional support, then I'm all for right on. Uh, with that, we did our three hours. We should he, uh, be here tomorrow. Compensatory call in. Uh, we'll kind of examine what's happened over the past seven days or so. Uh, black mental health, man. That amongst uh, some of the other things that happened over the past seven days. That'll be tomorrow, normal time, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Dr. Martin Kevorkian should be back with us uh, the middle of next week. Looking forward, King Richard. Whew. Manderley. I can't believe it's taken us so many years to finally discuss this film but wowie manderley there's a code book in the middle of the movie about practicing racism and how to maintain black people under total domination ah welcome back dr kevorkian admitted white supremacist anywho we'll be here in about 24 hours uh sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy we all need super efficient brain computers to solve this problem uh, if you're going to be out and about whew, somebody is being hostile and loud this is no time for verbal confrontations remember what retired firefighter story he shared about his offspring last weekend whew, remember what caller in Florida just said five seconds ago okay even with a wedding dress armed put you down in three seconds and she had a gang at the wedding he'd say just I'm gonna go take a picture by myself get all the bridesmaids together and let's do a glam photo with our guns great equalizer if you didn't leave your house armed and with an armed entourage ready to do some counter war and all the rest of it Exit. Call the enforcement officials and what have you from a safe distance. If you're in a vehicle, you are buckled, sober, not on the cell phone, doing the small things we can to stay as safe as possible and trying to minimize contact with race soldiers. Badge or no, white women of the courthouse, Kyle Rittenhouse. 
that said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. No name calling, no gossiping staples of white supremacy, name calling gossip about niggers, all of that. That's not universal man, universal woman either. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>